This episode of the Second Floor Podcast is brought to you by Alberta Podcast Network. Locally grown, community supported. All right, welcome everybody. I'm with Mona from the Edmonton Police Services, our uh, local detective, as well as I would say our local celebrity in our community as well. I want to take the time to uh, appreciate you for coming on, Mona. And I feel like as what we discussed beforehand going on air, we have a lot of different approaches to take on today's show. Yes, we do. Thank you so much, Kenny, for inviting me. Um, I'm actually kind of your local police detective because you come in southwest division and i work out of south west division here so there you go now i know who to go to (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome i uh i want to start off by first and foremost just you know taking the time to recall the um panel that you were on recently yes and that was with safaris network and that was when i really recognized um how much we do want to have you on the show just based off of really how confident you are and outspoken you are mona um a lot of what you've gone through which i'm sure uh, you'll be um able to share on our show is a testament to recognizing that in our lives in which we live, we deserve to live for ourselves. And uh, sometimes that comes with asking ourselves questions and going through the process of really um, working on uh, who we are and what we value. And I want to just start off our episode with recognizing that you have had those moments in your life where you had to question that. And then you ultimately like sitting with me today, you know, you're radiating positivity. (laughs) You clearly aren't afraid to fully be yourself, but I'd like to just share with um, our audience here, if you don't mind going into that at first, where, you know, how much has what you've gone through um, affected the process it took you to um, know what needed to be done to not let society um, affect the decisions you make? And, and I know it's a long-winded question, but if I get as I'm finding my words here, ask, like, what are some of the strategies that you worked on that worked for you? Um, to not just be another um, person in the South Asian community who just abides by, oh, what will people think? Yeah. You know, I just want to know what that process was and what it is that you did personally go through to share with our guests, like yeah. the, the actual impact that made on your life. That's a great question, Kenny. Um, it's a, it is a process. It is a process that um, we all go through. And I hope that we learn from the process to really become who we are. Because when we are younger, especially myself, I can speak for myself, um, we are, especially in the South Asian community, as a female, we are brought uh, brought up to to listen to others, to put others first, to put others' needs first. Firstly, it's your parents. Then if you're married, then it's your spouse the spouse's parents, then it's your kids. So we always tend to put ourselves last. And I was brought up with those, with that kind of um, thinking. Not to say there's anything wrong with that, because when I was being brought up in the 70s, 80s, that's how things were. But we have changed. I hope we have changed. Mm-hmm. Like I think that uh, the way I brought up my daughter would be very different than that. Um, so it took me time to actually come into who I am today. And I'm still evolving. I haven't done evolving yet. I'm still 
finding new aspects about myself. Like any East Indian person, especially in India, I had an arranged marriage. Uh, my ex-husband, my the father of my child, uh, his family had approached my grandfather in India for um, my hand in marriage. And uh, my dad was in the army. So my parents, we traveled all over India because he was in the army. We got transferred every two years. There was a lot of good things that came with it because every two years you got to a new place. You learned to make new friends. You uh, And being in the army, there was a lot of benefits where you had a really a higher standard of education. Uh, both my parents uh, were fairly open-minded but very conservative still because they were still living in the 70s and the 80s India, right? Um, my dad always said I was his son but also had the expectations of like but still treated me like a daughter, right? How do you feel about that? I've heard this concept before where it's like, you know, I was raised like I was my father's son. I was... I was happy with it, but till I actually realized that he said it it was a saying. Right? It was a saying. But um it took a lot of work to get to the point where he actually did treat me as a son. Mm-hmm. So but again, I um you know, our parents were brought up in a very different manner. My dad was born before the uh, partition happened. Then they came to India during when the partition happened. So very different circumstances. And um, my parents only have two daughters, myself and my younger sister. So again, he was very pro us because when my grandmother would be very upset that oh you know you only have a daughter or you have only daughters he would put he would uh, like tell my grandmother to shut it right that I'm I'm happy with my daughters but then there's that side to it and then there's a side where still the expectations were of what I'm a daughter Mm. right so (sighs) It's a contradiction. Yeah. But it's also made me who I am. Yeah. Right? I like that's why like when people sometimes ask me if I have any regrets in life. There are very few regrets I have in life. Yeah. Or I would say more than regrets I have, okay, I should I maybe I could have done things differently. Or maybe I shouldn't have done that. Because if I have regrets, then I regret the being I am today. Mm-hmm. Because every step has shaped you to absolutely to, to your thought process now, right? Yeah. Did your dad at all um, show you what he would perhaps at that time only show a son? Like with the whole concept of here's what, uh, like if I'm just picturing my yes. uh, self, if I was in India and I yeah. was brought up and yeah. my, my, both my parents had a village, yes. both of them had a pind, right? Yeah. So it's like, okay, as a son, it's like, okay. Like you come outside, let me show you how to do all the things that you're eventually going to have to do to upkeep our village, right? This is at that time. So was it that much so that your dad's like, I want to show you everything that I would show a son to make sure that you know how to do all this stuff? In some ways. Okay. Again, uh, he would always show us in the village because we never lived in the village to where what was ours, 
what would belong to us. But he, he taught me how to drive a car. He taught me how to change a tire. He taught me how to change, uh, do an oil change or check for an oil because he knew that if I'm driving a vehicle, I should know how to do those things yes. because I should not get stranded as a female. He was very clear in some things like, you know, like, tell me if you've done something, we can deal with it together, mm. right? Yeah. But on the other side, my dad would also say, because again, um, I'm not making excuses for him, but I'm just trying to explain why he would say that, is that he would say, uh, I'll say it in Punjabi and then I'll translate it. Yeah. He'd say, and my dad didn't speak that much Punjabi at home because being the army. He would say, ladki hoti na, ladki ka character hota hai, chadar ki hota hai. अगर उसके ऊपर दाग लग जाए ना फिर वो बहुत मुश्किल होता है मिटाना which means that a girl's character is like a white sheet and if you do anything that's going to put uh, a spot on it or bring disrepute then it's going to be very difficult to mm. take it off wow what a saying right <laughs> but because, but that's a saying in india it's a very com- like a very common saying in india but now that now what i know today in, in maybe he meant it to say like you know don't do anything that's going to jeopardize your life mm-hmm. but now what i know today sometimes i can also think of it and go back and say that's a very another way of maybe controlling yeah, your daughter's behavior be. my next question is going to be based off that quote is have you told your daughter this like have you been so in favor of that that you're like i'm going to tell oh, you no. something no, yeah it's interesting no. the difference right? yes absolutely my uh, my daughter I was very, I've been very lucky and blessed to have Anmol as my daughter because in some ways I was a really a terror to my parents. I was a rebel. So maybe that there was the reason my father had to say those things to me. <laughs> yeah. It's like, let's give it some context, Exactly. Right? And like, you know, my parents always said, that, like, you know, I always did things. If they told me, you know, stand here, no, I'm going to go sit over there. Well, right? sometimes there's, that, yeah. there's the nature versus nurture effect, right? Absolutely. Like, I love how you just mentioned, like, okay, I'm blessed with the daughter <laughs> that I have. Yeah. Because sometimes, let's be honest, there's this behaviors are, are children illicit uh that we just don't have control over and we have exactly. to do whatever it takes to make sure that we give some sort of parameters of control before yeah. they break it right and i was always pushing like pushing the boundaries with my parents mm. and i don't because you know like even now if you look at it how many of our parents do really know how to or any parent i'm not just going to uh, say uh, south asian people but every parent it's very difficult to see your children, because we have this image in our head, my, my child should do this, my child is going to do this, my child is going to do this, my child is going to behave like this. And when they don't do it, then we get angry at them. Yeah. We um, try to mold them according to what we think is right. You have to world. give them as much freedom yes. as possible. You know, I find that's what my parents did for me and it yeah. worked out really well because don't get me wrong, there's many mistakes I've oh. made. Uh, to be honest, some I, I like. I love how you mentioned you don't have any regrets. I I used to believe in that, but of course, I think there's just things I do personally regret. Uh, however, it's the lesson learned out of what I regret that wouldn't have come out of that situation. Absolutely, had I not acted and, that certain way. So that's where it becomes kind of yes. like okay, it's worth going through those moments of actually needing to make the mistakes yeah. and and live a life that is quite independent to be able to then know what to do. Yeah. You know, and then that's what I mean. Like I mean, like. 
it, it, I can either take it as a regret or I can take it as a lesson. Yeah. I take things now as a lesson because I'm like, what am, what am I, even today when something happens, I'm like, okay, what is this teaching me? Yeah. What is this? What have, what, why is this happening? And what am I supposed to learn from this? Yeah. Okay. Then I try to change my perspective on that and I'm like, okay, all right. And then I, that's the reason I try not to have too many regrets. Yes, there are things that I may not be very proud of that I've done just because, you know, we are human beings at the end of the day. And sometimes we all do things that um, we later look back and say, oh, maybe I should, I could have done something differently about that. Well, and then fast forward to the time in which you were mentioning your grandfather uh, was, I believe, ready to get you married. Yes. Right? Yes. That so my time. Yeah. So my grandfather had actually uh, been to States because my uh, my maternal uncle, my mamaji, was actually stationed in Fort Leavenworth, I believe, in Texas. Mm. The Indian Army had sent him for a course there. And my grandfather had come and he had loved what U.S. and Canada would have had to offer so when the proposal came from my ex's side to my family, my dad, my grandfather said, because my, I was just like finished in my first year of, um, um, I was actually doing Bachelor of Arts in Chandigarh. So I was there. So my parents were still like, she's studying. So but my grandfather said, you know, this is a good opportunity. Seems like a good family. Um, so we should look into it because she'll be going to Canada mm-hmm. and where she will have lot more opportunity than she would have in the 80s in India because I would I was good in sports I was like I really thought I would be an army officer but in that time women weren't allowed in the Indian army mm. except if you were a doctor so um so I think that kind of helped my parents make a decision and uh, so that's how my marriage came to being I got married in 91 um March of 91 and it was really funny because, you know, um, we talk about red flags or your gut. Of course. So um, the marriage was supposed to happen early, like January. And then um, my ex's family said, oh, he's got stuff to do. He's not available to come right away. And they had told us that he was only a few years older than me. Turns out he was 10 years older than me. That was like... Red flag right, number red one. Red flag number one. <laughs> oh, just a few years. Yeah, no big deal. Exactly. Just a decade. I mean. <laughs> and then the day we, so uh, everything was settled, like the wedding cards were sent out. And this was peak, if you remember, in the eight, uh, 91. Mm. We were just coming off from what had happened after the 1984. And uh, so there were still a lot of Punjab was had a lot of uh, terrorism lot going of on still. Tension. Yeah. All those kind of things. And um, so we went to we went to meet the family and him just a day like so fifteenth of March I got married thirteenth of March I saw my husband for the first time and he looked way older than the ten years they said but and my dad had this gut feeling that something wasn't right so he came home and he was quite restless. And my ex also walked in a funny way. So he was like, maybe he's got a disability. They haven't told us. So my dad, like this all had second thoughts. Mm-hmm. And then I remember when I we came back from there, my mamaji, who was um, back in India at that time, he came and he's like, what are you doing, Mona, having an arranged marriage? Like, 
I'm like, and I was like, oh, mom and dad, you know, they're they're my mom and dad. Yeah. They would not want to do anything that would not be um, right for me, right? And so, mind you, it's interesting he's saying that because we both know that arranged marriages at that time were common. Yes. But it sounds like to a degree still where it's like, yeah. oh, like, what are you doing? You deserve love marriage. Yes. Go go and find someone you... My mom, Mamaji had a love marriage. Oh, okay, so, there you, you know, go. So for him, it was like, what <laughs> are you shocked. doing, right? <laughs> so, and I, now that like, I look back, my dad was kind of disturbed and he was disturbed next day too. But then the 15th was the next day. And, you know, um, I think the thought was that if we say no now, especially in India, if we say no, will she ever get married again? Because in India, a girl side saying no is a big, you know, like... Oh, it's a big deal. Big it's deal. just so unfortunate. It, it is. It is like, absolutely... It, you say no and then all of a sudden it's so disrespectful, it's disgraceful, yeah. and then it's like, are you kidding me? Like, said and, no, I'm allowed to say yes or no to the rest of my life. Exactly. Like, it's that simple. And and then it, it it is always made out to be the girl's fault, right? Mm-hmm. So something must be wrong with her. So I think my, uh, the, then I got married and um, lo and behold, got married. Um, what made you go with it anyway? Uh, like, was it just like, oh, like, like that's, you know, the red flags were there. <laughs> I love the way you say it. It's like, then we got married. We just said, you know, let's go over the floor, right? That's pretty big, right? It is. And I think if I look back on it and like, it might, uh, I can say this here. Um, you know, something my parents had a lot, like, were still had a lot of control over my life, right? Mm. Telling me what to do, what not to do. Um, so I decided, oh, I'm going to get married. I'll have all this freedom, right? I'll be married. And I'll, <laughs> like, because everything was like, Dad, can I cut my hair? Uh, do it after you're married if your husband, because, you know, seek men. Oh, Dad, can I do this? Or oh, do it after your marriage. So it was like, okay, I can do all these things. Yeah, now you felt like you had Absolutely. All the freedom, right? And I'm going to be mm. so far into this modern country called Canada. That, you know, I'm going to be living a great life. Yeah. So I'm like, yes, let's do this. And trust me, like when I married him, I married him and I was like, he's my husband. I'm going to love him, care for yeah, him and all, all, in. all those kind go all in. Right. So then uh, he came back and he applied for me to come to Canada there's a, another red flag that shows up. So he sends me a letter one day. He says, oh, if uh, they ask you that was your husband married before, just say yes. Holy, I was like, just say yes. Just say yes. Okay. <laughs> so we had gone, like after the uh, the traditional wedding, we had gone to the courthouse to have a court marriage too because they need those documentations when you're applying. And he, there's a question in the Indian... Um, marriage license where you have to answer are you divorced are you a widower or widow or single and he had put single on there too and then now i had to tell my dad about it Uh. and i was like so my dad's like what the like you know he was my my dad's like you know i knew there was something wrong (laughs) he's like i I should have just trusted my intuition i know exactly and but then he explained oh you know we had to come to canada so i married my sister-in-law's sister and she sponsored like you know there was like come to canada Canada, like some kind of yeah deal done so it wasn't a real marriage so i'm like okay um so that happened then i come to canada and i've come from like you know you have to understand this it's 1991 november 28th i still remember that date 
And I've come from a hustling, bustling India where there's people, there's, you know, and yeah. I have status in India, like I have privilege in India. Mm-hmm. I'm from an army background. I've never cooked in my life. Uh, we have cooks, we have drivers, we have everything. And here I land in, uh, in Edmonton, firstly. It's November and there's a blizzard outside. It's Probably felt dark. like you were in a war zone. I know. Like, where did I end up? I'm driving from the airport and I didn't see, I kid you not, there was no lights, not even a person outside. I know it's winter. Excuse me. Till we hit white mud. And we used to live, uh, my ex had a corner grocery store on 106th Street and 78th Avenue. It used to be right in the corner. It used to be called the Queen Alex Grocery. Mm. So there we come in. And it's a little bungalow style, really old home because it's it was one of the oldest homes in Alberta. Uh, it had the corner grocery store in the front, and then there were two bedrooms and a living area and a, like a very like kitchen. Yeah. And I was like, really? And my thing was, oh shit, yeah, where have I landed, right? Yeah. Um, and then. All the friends we had were his friends. All the family that I had here was his family. And it was so bizarre to me that on Sundays, you know, we would have a get together at somebody's house and we'd all had to go there for like two or three o'clock in the afternoon. And then all the women would be cooking in the kitchen and the men would be in the basement drinking. Yeah. And I was not used to that. This is the first time you're kind of seeing this play yes. out. Yeah. I can imagine. Very confusing. Very common for those of you listening where this is something that has happened a lot in um, your generation's time. But then it's it's interesting for you to hear first time where you're like, I grew up from an educated, well-known family. We had this all happen to us. What's going on with the separation? (laughs) Yeah. And then like women are all like gossiping and they're like, you know, whatever they're talking about, fine. Like that's their social circle. That's what they do. And it's good to help each other out in the kitchen. I'm not not saying anything is wrong with that, but I wasn't used to it. And then, then it would be like, oh, we've cooked now. Okay, let the call the men from downstairs to eat and the kids to eat and then we'll eat. And then we had to do all, clean up everything. And then by the time we got home, it was one or two o'clock in the morning. So it was a very bizarre, it was very bizarre for me. Yeah. And I was having trouble adjusting with that. You're getting a culture sh- clash and a culture shock yes. pretty much every single day. Yes. You're in this new country as a married woman now. And I only speak English and Hindi. I don't speak Punjabi at that time. Oh, okay. So my ex is like, Tu Punjabi ni boldi, asi ni na bolna. And I was like, yeah. okay, now I had, so my Punjabi is very, I can speak it now because I've been here 30 years. Mm-hmm. But it's like, when I speak it, it's a very bizarre Punjabi because it's learned from speaking, mm. not actually properly studying Punjabi, sure. right? But I had studied Hindi and English, so... That was yeah. much better. You're still and, to this day much more comfortable speaking yes, English or Hindi. Hindi yeah, than, right. Absolutely. This episode of the Second Floor Podcast is brought to you by Edmonton Community Foundation. The foundation acts as a bridge between donors and charities to create a strong, vibrant community for generations to come. You can start an endowment fund yourself or with a group Once it reaches $10,000, it can start distributing funds. Vital Signs is an annual checkup conducted by the Edmonton Community Foundation in partnership with Edmonton Social Planning Council to measure how the community is doing. This year's focus is on making ends meet in Edmonton. 
Learn more at ecfoundation.org. Now, back to the Second Floor Podcast. So, um, so then, you know, slowly settled down into the life of being a married woman. I was working in the store with for my ex in the front. And um, when I came from India, I was on birth control. But then my birth control finished and I told my ex that, can you take me to the doctor? Because I was not wanting to get pregnant. Mm -hmm. I wanted to go back to actually school because I had just finished my second year of uh, Bachelor of Arts and I wanted to get an education. So since I had come in November, he said, oh, you know, uh, so school doesn't start till September. So, you know, you can wait. We'll, we'll get closer to that. We'll get you admission. I'm like, okay, mm. do I need to get my uh, certificates so far that I have valued? What do I have to do? They're like, mm. no, no, nothing. It'll be fine. Now I know that there's a session that starts in January. I did not know that you didn't at know, that time. Yeah. And I was dependent on him for a lot of things at that time because I wasn't driving in the country and it was winter and he knew the ways and I did not. Mm-hmm even though I was fluent in English, but even to get to know things, you have to step out of the house or you have to have those conversations. His friend circle was not my generation. They were older. Especially then, it's so tough because you're only going to trust the person that's telling you this information. What a good example as far as schooling goes. That's just something that you couldn't at that time just Google no. You know, you just trust whoever is in front of you that's telling you that information. Exactly. Right? So, you know, I did talk to him about it, but then wanted to go to the doctor and he would not let me, he wouldn't take me to the doctor. So I, in the meantime, I got pregnant. So then I was like, okay. And I still remember like getting like, I was like, okay, if, I, if this is what, you know, I'm going to be a mom. Like, so I embraced that. I'm like, okay, I'm going to be a mom. It's fine. And... So I was kept working for him in the store through my pregnancy. Then my mom came in um, October and there were red flags all along. But at this point, he had not physically assaulted me ever. Things changed when I had my daughter. Um, It was um, slowly, it was saying things. First, it started with saying things. Oh, you know, um, we should have another child right away because, you know, there's always this desire for a son. And my thing was, I'm not having a, a, another child right now because if you only want a son, then what kind of a message are we sending to our daughter? Mm-hmm. I had that kind of, um, still that kind of little um, awareness. Mm-hmm. But I could see that I was slowly starting to lose who I was, who I had come from India as. And then... Um, after that, his mother and his sister migrated to Canada to live with us. And that's when things really changed. And when it became quite um, uh, verbally, both his, his mom was very vicious. I, she's passed on now, so I usually don't like to say bad things about people that have passed on. But mm. I would say this about her. That as a woman, I have never seen another woman be so um, hateful towards other women, not only just towards me, but she was like that because it was her upbringing. She always, she only thought that boys 
were the kings and we women were nothing in her eyes. It was something that she had experienced in her growing up. And that's how she was with, she carried on. Um, then in 1997, I remember, um, and I think it was March or March or April, my ex had gone to India. And there's other stuff that had happened in between. Um, the physical fights had started. Mm. Uh, it was always um, like, you know, removing a condom when we were having sex so that I could get pregnant again. Yeah. Uh, I had to go to see a doctor and I got myself on birth control but never told him and I was hiding them between my mattresses so that yeah. he would not find them. Just so them. it doesn't happen again yeah. when you didn't feel comfortable. Yes. Uh, I hid them in my between my mattresses because he would look through my stuff, my clothing, but he would not think of looking under the mattress, right? Um, I was working in the store. I started working. We bought another store. I started working there. I would take the bus to go to Northtown Mall and he didn't he wouldn't buy me proper winter shoes so i had runners on it would be minus 40 and i would be your feet walking. are just freezing yes yeah. and then i would like you know you take the bus after the mall closes at nine o'clock by the time i got home it would be 11 o'clock at nighttime and you know edmonton's bus services and back in 90s you can imagine they were far worse mm -hmm. uh and i would be knocking on the door to get the door open everybody would be sleeping and they would take their sweet time um, I, if I washed my hair on a Tuesday, my mother-in-law would call me names saying that, don't you know, on Tuesday, if you wash your hair, your husband's going to die. The superstitious Tuesday. Yes. And I've washed my hair Tuesday, on Tuesday so many times. He's <laughs> still, still living. Still He's, I'm not married to him, but still nothing, <laughs> you know. Uh, I want to I just take yes. uh, a second to actually ask you about something before I, of course, forget it. Yes. Because I know we're going to take a lot of different routes as you continue to share yeah. your story. But I think it's important to recognize that many, many people, unfortunately, no matter what culture you're from, have this uh, almost like this sense of uh, constant uh, reassurance or constant showcase to their mother-in-laws yes. um, that, hey, I am worthy. I am I am. In independent, I'm a woman such as you are too. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure a lot of what the mothers are doing without even realizing it is generational trauma. Yeah. Um, and just putting that on to you with the treatment that they've gotten. Absolutely. So, so yeah, for, for lack of a better term, sometimes there's, they don't know any better, but also it's like, when does this end? When does this stop? Because unfortunately, guess what? It's happening into the next generation. Yes. It's, you know, I'm talking to people in and around my age who also are feeling the exact same things. Uh, that their mothers would feel that yes. now they're doing to their wives. I know. So it's I'm just wondering if like for you, because I think it's so better off from your perspective because you've gone through it yeah. and you also reached a point as we're hearing here where you just went enough is enough. Yeah. But what would you say to someone who is getting that pushback from their mother-in-law in the most respectful way? How can they just end that? When of course, like they're like, oh, it's worth it. I married my my uh, my husband yes. and he, he obviously is going to protect his mother, protect me at the same time. And then I, for one, have known what that feels like where you're caught up in the middle. So you just say nothing and you just let that continuously fester. Yeah. But what advice would you give someone who clearly would love a relationship with their mother-in-law, but their mother-in-law is doing everything in their power to just compete with their sons uh, you know that's an wife. excellent question again kenny excellent question that generation as you said the trauma was there and women in those times 
were brought up that they were first dependent on their fathers, then they were dependent on their uh, husbands, then they were dependent on their sons. So they always felt that to have their son take care of them, they would have to not let him take care of his wife or put his wife first because then she will become more important and I will not, I will be left and who will take care of me. Those are different, um, that's a totally different generation. But because somebody didn't break the cycle, it continued, right? And it is so, like I always say this, women can be women's worst enemies, unfortunately. We don't like somebody wearing something. We will be like, we'll be very catty about it. We Make don't it like, obvious. Right? Or we don't like somebody's choices. Oh, she is very like this. Or, And, you know, I'm not saying that I'm better. I was in the same boat in my younger years. But what I've learned now as a woman, I, if I may not agree with the choices you make, I do not walk in your shoes. I have no right to judge why you're doing what you're doing or how you are living your life. Mm. So to break the cycle, I think it's very important. I think mothers need to realize that their son is now married and this person that's come into their life is actually enhancing their life together, building their life together She's not taking away your son. She is actually coming into your life and bringing all this love and um, great things that are going to come into your life. So you, instead of feeling that you're losing a son, you have to realize you're actually gaining a daughter. Mm. Second thing is I would say is the husband or the son, like I'll say the husband has to say, to his mom, mom, she's my wife now, and I love you, and you will always be my mom, but she's my first priority now. He, he has to put his foot he down. He has to put his foot down. Because my I remember my dad saying this to me, because people were saying, oh, you know, your husband is fine. It's his mother and his sister. My dad said, he said, I will be okay with her living in this, having this relationship if he stood up for her. He, but he's also doing what his mother and sister are telling him to do. He is not breaking the, the ties when they're wrong. Well, when if my daughter's wrong, yeah, speak up. But at the same time, when your mother and your sister are wrong, you need to speak up. You need to speak up for your wife. And even if you don't like, if you don't like what your wife is has said, maybe she was rude or maybe she didn't give the respect. In your eyes, that's how you feel. That in front of your wife, you are one. You're a one unit. Later, you can say to your wife, "Honey, you know maybe you were a little not right there, but I will always support you. But in that place, in that situation, you were wrong, right?" And. If it's his mother or his sister who's doing that, you will support your wife, but you will go back to your mom and say, Mom, in that position, if you ever put me in that position, I will always support my wife because she's my wife. I am building a life with her. That does not mean, like, I think people think that if you start um, 
standing up for your wife or in a, in in uh, in in indian we say oh gujoru ka gulam really it's sad yeah it's very sad he's not right. like he he's standing up for his wife there's nothing wrong in that because no one else is going no, to that situation it's absolutely. five against one exactly at the end of the day and of course there's going to be more built up animosity for the wife and they're no longer going to be able to hide that anymore no right so it's either that or they walk away and they're never going to be in the room yeah. with you and your family and then it's like is this what you all wanted exactly. you wanted to push her so far away to the point that she doesn't even want to be in a room with us and, and then, then it's a very like non-verbal yes realization right and then what do we say oh she's she doesn't like us so in in indian thing it is this is very funny when so if i am the mother-in-law i have a son and a daughter so my son is married and his wife and i don't get along oh my son you know my son is so nice but his wife oh my god and then i have a daughter who's having issues with her son her in-laws but oh my daughter is so nice her in-laws oh my god they give her such a hard time both ways like you're doing the same thing for yes. the other one like yeah. so it's like don't like don't see the mirror sometimes mm-hmm. right and i think it's very important also i feel that the mother-in-law and the daughter-in-law actually go out have drinks have their have own a chat, relationship yeah have their own relationship it's so true otherwise it's too distant yeah and just like before even you like you know nowadays lots of our uh, generation your like are dating are like okay i dated now yes this is the person i want to marry perfect you're interacting with the mother-in-law and the other family and you say okay uh if like some people feel comfortable calling auntie or they call mom yeah. whatever mom let's go out for dinner today and then you just sit down and chat to each other and say hey i'm going to be coming into your life into your house i'm so excited about this how do you feel about it and then have a conversation let's talk about it yeah that conversation needs to happen yes. if if you're expecting everything to work out cuz it's not you're especially uh again another point about our culture which is common even to this day in our generation it's obviously i almost look at it where it's 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 not as much but it's still there yes. where it's like okay we get married now you're coming into my household yes. so we're going to live with my parents and you're going to you're going to be involved in it too and it's it's la la land when you talk about it and of course sure there's many perks to this from a from a financial standpoint from a family standpoint but families that make it work truthfully are ones that have constant communication the same way you do with your own family yes. you call out everyone on their own shit yes. it's just that's how it is but now you just don't do it when you add in another person who has completely different family values because yes. it's so funny right from like the grandparents perspective it's like open oh, jabbi kudi chaidiya same values hagiya but it's like yeah okay so you need a brown girl and you have the same values for marrying on this topic but it's like actually no it's no. like it could be another brown girl i decide to end up with who has very different values Absolutely. and it was brought up very differently and then you you have that all under one household and it's just to your point it's too much tension if it's not discussed and go ahead and i think one thing people tend to forget the first year of marriage whether it's arranged or love marriage is especially if you have not lived together is the most difficult why Yes, it's all great because you're in love and you know it's all good. You're going to have hot sex or whatever. <laughs> However, now if you've never lived together before, you've only dated or gone on holidays. I say this when you're going on holidays, when you're dating, you both are on your best behavior. You only see the best of each other. When you start living together, 
what happens is now you're finding out, oh, he just likes to leave his socks over there. <laughs> yeah. Or he actually snores at nighttime. Or he smokes. Or whatever the case might be. Or he likes to stay up till like one o'clock. Or she likes to do this or whatever. See the habits. The good and habits, the bad. Habits, right? Because when you date, you always put your best foot forward because you want to impress this person. You want this person to like you. You only want them to see what's good in you. That's a classic honeymoon phase, right? Absolutely. But then when you start living together, you'll be like, oh, okay. Oh, she farts. Oh my God, that's a stinky fart. (laughs) Whatever, right? There are a lot of things that come. You get to know about each other when you live together. Mm -hmm. And then you realize is whatever I'm learning here, I'm, is this what I'm going to be able to put up with for the rest of my life? Because you're not going to be able to change the person. So you believe arranged or not, Mona, or even however long people have been together, do you believe it's important? Because it's a debate out there to live with one another for a certain period of time before you consider marriage. 100%. I, I have always said that i remember when uh even 10 years ago i said this and i had friends who had really young kids and they were like no my kids are not going to do that and now two of their three kids are living together they will be getting married but you know they they also see what's the benefit of it yeah and kids want to do what they want to do it's their life they're gonna choose to so either you put your foot down and lose your child or you say, okay, uh, yes, this is your boyfriend or girlfriend. Let's make an effort to get to know them before you get married. And then your child also knows that if this person is not right for me, I have my parents to fall back onto mm-hmm. or the support I have. Because if you say, okay, I'm going to have this, I'm in love, I'm going to be with this person, your parents say, you know, something we don't agree with it, uh, do what you want to do and don't blame us later. Then when things do start to go sideways or sometimes not to the extreme, but, you know, we still need guidance in our relation, in our, in our lives from our parents. We need different perspectives and they are sometimes, I won't say the experts in the relationships because, (laughs) but they have uh, life experience. Yeah, that's there. Right. So when you face certain things in your relationship, uh, whether it's a living relationship or marriage, then you can go to your parents and say, hey, uh, this is what's going on. Um, I'm just wanting to know what do you think about it? Or like, can you give me some you know, perspective on it? This episode of the Second Floor Podcast is brought to you by Park Power, your friendly local utilities provider in Alberta. Offering internet, electricity, and natural gas with low prices, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. In Alberta, you get to choose who to buy your internet, electricity, and natural gas from. Park Power has low overhead, which in turn allows them to offer low competitive rates. Reach out for a no obligation comparison by emailing estimates at parkpower.ca. If you decide to switch, it's easy. And you can feel good knowing you're helping to give back to our communities with your utilities bill. Learn more at parkpower.ca. You don't think that muddies the waters too much of if you go directly to your parents about your significant other, that it will start to alter their um, 
opinion and perception around your significant other. Like, you know how sometimes they're like, oh, share this with, okay, perhaps we say a therapist or share it with a friend who's a little bit distant and they're like, tell me anything about them and I understand that you need someone to vent to. But do you feel like arguably it's still okay depending on the relationship you have with your parents to still loop them into how you're really doing in the relationship? And that also also goes a little bit further if if they have gotten to know the other person. Yeah, that's true. And parents sometimes tend to know their children the best. So sometimes they can tell you that, you know, I've seen you do this. Mm. In this aspect, He maybe he or she was right, the other person. But just because you're my child, I'm not going to say that yeah. you were right and the person was wrong. They'll tell you the honest truth because yes, they, they know would, you so yes. well. That's fair. Yes. So yeah. I think... There, that's why it's important for parents to get to know the your uh, ch- the children's partner in life, yeah. male or female or whatever they believe in, whatever gender they want to believe in, right? It's funny you say that. There's, I look back on one of the relationships I was in, and I'll say this openly: there were many moments where. We had, of course, a lot of tough moments and what kept me certain moments where I'd ask myself, why am I still in this relationship is because of how much their family invested in getting to know me and their family had my back. Uh, This being um, her parents and something truthfully to the point you make about, yes, whether you're brown or you're not or whatever culture you're from, when you get to know the person's parents, you not only get to build such stronger, deeper connections with other people who you can imagine are going to be in your life for a long time, but you actually get to know the person you're with a lot better because you're having these independent conversations with the parents. And I I appreciate you saying that because even to this day, um, you know, their, their father will message me from time to time and be like, I hope you know that like, Mm -hmm. despite what happened, yes, I'm, I'm still rooting for you. Like, I'm putting good, good energy your way. If you ever want to connect, whatever, like you have my back. And, and isn't that, that awesome? Oh, it meant a lot because yeah. we had our own yes. connection. And I yes. find that's that's something sometimes we just choose not to do, right? We sometimes even avoid, yes. right? Oh, so-and-so, they're not home yet. I'll just stay in the car. Yeah. But it's like, no, it take the five, 10 minutes. Yes. Like, And how much the, I find the older generations appreciate mm-hmm. it, yes. right? Those who are older than you, they really appreciate it. And not to go off on a tangent, but it's no. something like even my grandparents, like, they're like, we don't want an hour. We don't want two hours. We just want five minutes. Yeah. We get five minutes of energy with you. They'll give us a lifetime of excitement, right? It is so important for our grand, especially the grandparents to have that connection with their grandchildren yeah, because it just infuses life into them. So much. You know, it does. Tough. Like, you know how they say uh, in Hindi and Punjabi, they say, uh, se biaz hota, which means the uh, interest on the principal. You, so your parents are the principal, you're the interest ah. on the investment they made. And interest is always, always much more loving and yeah. important than the principal is right because it's you make so, so so that's why the the relationship that the grandparents and the grandchildren have especially if it's a healthy relationship it is just awesome yes it infuses so much life into the grandparents because they are reaching that stage in their life where you know sometimes they feel oh you know i've lived a life now it's okay but 
when they see their grandchildren, they're like, no, no, my <laughs> grandchild is here. I want to see him get or her get married. Yeah. And then they see their children. They right? have that hope. So, yes. So that keeps them going in life. Yeah. So I think that's very important. And that's very yeah. um, nice if you can have that. Yes. No, I love that. I'm yes. glad you're able to see that. Yes, absolutely. Well, when we go back, Mona, to, you know, we, we went on this beautiful yes. uh, <laughs> tips and trajectory <laughs> on the in-laws. And that's important. There's yes. a lot there, right? Yes. And I appreciate that because there's so much value from your experience. Is, um, you know, going back to when you ultimately were realizing that, your relationship wasn't serving you and you were ready to pull the trigger and all the tr- like just unfortunate abuse that it came with, as you mentioned. Um, from what time did you realize you no longer wanted to be in this relationship to when you actually did it? Yeah. I want to know about that gap and then how you just came to terms with realizing that, okay, it's time to just pull the plug no matter what happens. So as I said, like things were happening, uh, lots of things were happening in the household, like little things like my mother-in-law even covering her face when I got into the room the first thing in the morning because she did not want to see my first face in the first thing in the morning because oh that would my, ruin her day. Oh my goodness. So even things like that, right? So in uh, 97, I believe it was March, my ex, and I like by that time I was starting to like know that things were not going well. And I was like, I don't think I can carry on in this marriage anymore. I had totally lost myself. I was actually mentally exhausted and I was actually not in a good place mentally. And then March, I believe it was March, my ex went to India for a visit for three weeks. And while he was there, he was having conversations with my parents. My parents had started to know that things weren't going right for us. Um, and he outrightly asked my father, he said, oh, you only have two daughters and you have all this land and all this jameen and all this money. Why don't you give Mona her share? Because he wanted it. And my, and my dad and my mom was in her forties at that time. And my dad was just, I think it was 97 and my dad's born in 1940. So like he was 50 ish, Mm. like in his fifties. So they're like, we still have our whole life and it's my land and it's my money. I will give it to anybody I want. I'm, yeah. who, what makes you think I'm going to leave it to my children? I might yeah. leave it to somebody else. So that Good didn't point. go over very well. So when he came back that night, he had already had a conversation with his mother, his sister, and his one brother that used to still live in India. And um, he that night he was one of the worst nights of my life where he um, assaulted me really badly. He sexually assaulted me or tried to sexually assault me that night. But there was something in my mind had happened where I had turned the switch that I'm not going to let you do this to me anymore. You can beat me up. And I told him, I said, you can beat me up. You can do whatever. I'm not letting you sexually assault or like have sex with me today. Because mm-hmm. that time I did not know what sexual, like that it was sexual yeah, assault, yeah. right? So um, my daughter was sleeping in the other room and he tried his best. He hit me. He um, took like his, like he hurt me so hard on my stomach because he used to not try to hit me on my face because Mm. I had to go to work. So my legs, everything. And then I, he kind of got exhausted and he said, like called me names and told me get out of the room. So I went and I slept in my daughter's room. Mm. and um, the next day I went when I went to t- uh, Northtown Mall to work I made a collect call to my f- 
parents. And I still remember it very clearly. I said to my dad, I said, you guys got me married. And if you want me to stay in this marriage, I will stay in this marriage. But I can tell you, I'm either going to be dead or I'm going to be in a mental institute. So you need to decide what to do. Right? I still wanted my parents to make a decision for me because, you know, till that time you're always brought up like your marriage decision was made by your parents. All your decisions are made by men in your life or the elders of your life. So what my dad did was that he was still actually in the army at that time, but he was uh, close to retirement. So what he did, he actually retired and he came to Canada. He applied for a visitor visa and he came to Canada in end of May, mid-May, end of May of 1997. And then he reached out to some family members and um, family came, discussed and uh, my mother-in-law was like, no, if she has to live in this house, she has to live by our rules. Otherwise, you know. So my dad was like, okay, we've tried everything. It's not working. So then my dad was, uh, some um, members in the community, uh, some were saying, oh, you know, tell her to instigate and let him beat her up and let her call the police. My dad's like, I'm not going to let my daughter get beat up while I'm in the house because he was staying with us. Yeah. So then somebody actually said, you know, there's an so, uh, there's a uh, association here called the Indo-Canadian Women's Association. Why don't we go and see how if they're able to help us? So my dad went to them and they advised. They said, she doesn't have to get beat up to get help. All she has to do is just call for police and arrange and they will help her. So I still remember it was Tuesday night and... My dad had already gone and spoken to the police and said, this is what's happening. My daughter wants out. She can't make the phone call because there's all these people at home. So they arranged, I think it was a Wednesday that was going to happen. I think it was 27th of June. And um, the night before, I would get up slowly. I would go inside because we were all sitting in the living room. And Anmol was sick. I would go and like pretending to take care of Anmol, but I'm packing my stuff slowly, slowly in my bags. And how old was Anmol at this time? Uh, she was just one turn four. Yeah, very yeah, young. Very young. And uh, next day, the police were supposed to come at nine o'clock. And my ex has not left the house. My mother-in-law had, I'm oh, sorry, my sister-in-law had gone to school because she was taking ESL classes just because, you know, they paid her to go. So she wanted to go. She could get the money. Uh, my mother-in-law was at home and my ex who used to leave usually around 8, 8.30 was still at home. And we like, and you could just see a police car, like there's a window and you can see a police car standing down, like on down the road. And my ex was like, I don't know what's going on there. Why is there police over there? He like, has no idea. I, know, I have no idea why there's police there. And, um, and police so was there to pick you up yeah, and it, also it, ensure that if there's any conflict yes, would because, be there to. Yeah. So the domestic violence, uh, a unit and a patrol car was just waiting down the road for me to ensure. Mm -hmm. And I said, because with my mother-in-law, it'll be okay, but I can't have my ex there, right? Because yeah. then they might try to stop Anmol from leaving with me. And uh, so when he eventually left and then they came and so I was taking up my stuff and my mother-in-law is losing her mind and she's calling me names. She's calling Anmol names, saying things like, 
to unmold what your mother is doing today. One day you'll be on the street like a prostitute and stuff like that. This is her own flesh and blood. Mm. That's her grandchild she's saying things to. So the police had to eventually tell her to be quiet and sit down. Otherwise, they're going to uh, arrest her for obstruction. And I went. So that took about an hour to get out of there. And I still remember a customer came. And I didn't take anything from my ex. Actually, I left everything that, like uh, any gold that they gave me, I left it there. Didn't take any money, nothing. I just took what my parents gave me. Didn't take any money. But the the domestic violence, um, the social worker, she was in the store. And this guy came and bought a hustler or something, right? So it was seven fifty at that time, I remember. And she took the seven fifty and she gave it to me. She's like, this is your money. You take it with you. I was like, no, it's, she's like, no, it's your, you take it. Who's the guy that took the Hustler magazine? So there's some customer that came to the store right? oh, while okay. this was happening. Yeah, and then go. we locked the store and then I left. And I went to the Wynn House, uh, which is the Women in Need shelter. And um, my dad went to friend's house. So that's, so that's when I left. So it was like once, I remember like, the last incident happening and leaving. And I still remember like a couple of days before we left, my dad and I went, he took me for a walk and he said to me, he said, um, I'm, I'm supporting you to get out of this uh, marriage, but I want you to be sure this is what you want because tomorrow I don't want you to bl- blame me that I uh, destroyed your married life. Mm. Because maybe you'll feel sad or you'll miss him. Or, you know, when the hardships of life get to you, you this might. This is just coming from an external yes. male's perspective. Yes. And that's your my, father. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I said, no, I'm done here. But I said, turned around and said to my ba- dad, I said, if he comes back ask, begging you guys tomorrow, make sure you don't say that, okay, you should give your marriage another chance. And what a very honest conversation. Yeah. And, and my dad. it all out on the playing yeah. field, right? And because my dad said, he said, you know, marriage is like building a house. And I, he said, when you build a house, especially his analogy is from India because you build houses with bricks. Bricks, one brick at a time. So, but when things happen and there's a storm that comes, it gets, um, you know, it gets cracks. Mm. So after the cracks are done, you can put as much cement as you want. You can bind it. But eventually that house does fall down because this, any other storm comes, it's not strong again because the 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 base of the house is not strong. So the, how, the base of this marriage is not strong. So it will not fall today. It might fall tomorrow. Yeah. Next storm will hit. It's just yes. going to be worse. Yeah. may survive this one now, but yeah. that's going to be after one too many cracks have been put in place, yeah. right? And then after, after, like, if you leave, you come back, you leave, you come back, it becomes a joke, right? It becomes mm-hmm. like they start thinking it's a joke. Well, I'll beat her up. Where is she going to go? She's going to come back. Yeah. When that, she realizes. That unfortunately she, happens in a it lot happens of circumstances, a lot. right? Yeah. So for them, they know that this person is not capable of, they think they're not capable because they have broken the person down so much. That this person doesn't, the person who's leaving, if they don't have all the right supports in place, 
they will go back. And they will go back because maybe it's the children, it's the finances. And in a lot of relationships, uh, in the mainstream relationships, people fall in love and get married, right? You still love this person. They might be hurting you, but you still love this person. And then you miss them, especially at 2 o'clock at night when you're all alone, have no support, your friends are living their life, and your kid is crying, you don't have money for diapers, or your child is sick and you don't have money to take them anywhere, you're going to go back. Because you say, okay, at least my child will have the things that my child needs, even if I have to put up with some kind of abuse. You suffer the uh, yes consequences that comes with. Yeah. Just for the sake of your child having food to you, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. this sounds all too common for so many different people. Absolutely. You know? And a lot of, like, especially immigrant women don't realize that there's help available. Secondly, like when I left, when I went on welfare, it was $777. I'll never forget it. $777 in which you have to pay your rent, you have to buy food, you have to, you know, provide your child with medication at times or like, you know. It's nothing. It's, it's, it's nothing. nothing. It's, yeah. Even and at that time, it's nothing. Even nothing at that time. And it's even now, it's only, I believe it's a $1,200 or $1,300. It's not that much. And we know how inflation is. So the women's ha hands do get tied to go back because the house is in his name. He stops paying mortgage. The car is, even if it's in your name, if he's paying, if he's the only earning person, he can stop paying for it, stop paying the insurance. So many ways to control. You feel stuck. Yes. So that's why I think, uh, like I remember my parents telling me, Mona, you need to get an education. You need to be able to stand on your feet. Yeah. And you know, when you're young, you're like, oh, what do you know? I'm going to get married. <laughs> and like, you know, I'm in the, it's growing up, especially in the 80s and the 90s, growing up, you're like, you saw all these Bollywood movies where you had all this love and, you know, everything was hunky-dory once you I get need. married, right? <laughs> like, you know, we can live on air and we can live on water because we have love in our life, <laughs> exactly. right? Exactly. Like Bollywood movies. Bollywood destroyed, destroyed us. <laughs> they, it did. I blame Karan Johar. believe in love at first sight, I right? Like a range marriage, no palm looks good, <laughs> right? We'll start singing and dancing in the fields. It ruined us <laughs> i know karan johar has really ruined like yeah. you know this is like oh this happy like i remember like watching like trust me i love bollywood movie i love bollywood movies but now as i'm growing older too i realize like even if you watch kabhi khushi kabhi gum mm -hmm. you know like saying it's you have to love your parents always i'm like no we send such a Wrong message. Yeah. There's so many. These are the biggest blockbuster movies. Yes, there's so many parents out, there, like parents out there, that are toxic relationships, abusive. But we're still supposed to love them because they're our parents. Yeah, not at all. No, but like that's what Bollywood teaches us. Bollywood, mm -hmm. like, or if you look at the Hindi dramas. The husband is off having an affair. The wife is just staying with the in-laws and care taking care of them. And I'm like. What message are you sending? It's brutal. It is brutal. And I get it that the 70% of Indian population still lives in villages. So they're catering to them. But if, you, if there are some Bollywood movies that are changing. There are. I'm so glad to see it. Like really like thought-provoking um, ideas that are, are needing to come to the attention of India and the mainstream. Exactly. Uh, one in particular was Ranveer Singh's movie. I thought Which of one? it when you were speaking. 
is uh, he has a daughter and then he's about to have another daughter. Oh, yes. The one that latest came out in yes. Netflix. Yeah, it was funny because my daughter's really friend good. made that. And I was like, I really like that movie. You know? Yes. Like, oh, yes. Well, she made, she created like, it. No, my daughter's friend made it, actually. Like, oh, she's okay. friends with the person who made who that Who produced movie. the movie. Yes. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah, exactly. Because I want to make sure we clarify, because we were yes. saying earlier how your daughter is in yes. Mumbai and yes. being the next aspiring oh, uh, Bollywood oh. superstar. Well, right? she's, she's, she's really, like, found herself. Like, I think yes. she went at 18 to Bollywood when we knew nobody. And she went to be an actress. And she has done a lot of work. But somewhere along the way, she realize that actress shelf life is only so much mm, and okay, there's a fair. lot of stuff in india that is expected if you're an actress and to even get into getting a movie right there's tons that goes in there's, yeah yep. i think let's 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 factor in luck like yeah. that there, there's a little bit of that of course talent of course i heard some interesting things oh, about bollywood though yes. like as far as it's just as i shouldn't say just as bad as hollywood but as we've heard through the um weinstein case yes and a lot of the um unfortunate um let's just say predicaments females get into yeah. where it's like, Oh, you want to be in this movie, then yeah. take your shirt off. Like exactly. just unfortunately very much. So, um, behaviors Absolutely. related to that. Yeah. Uh, and I heard Bollywood with some cases, not all of it. Oh, it's a, it's a, it's very bad out there because yeah. over here, at least, you know, people knew about it and they talked about it amongst themselves before the me too happened over there the women will not even acknowledge that this happened to them yeah, because nobody wants to say it because then they will not get parts in the movies it's right sad. yeah so even the top actresses only kangana ranawat who used to be open about it i used to love her but then last couple of years something's happened to her so now it's like you know I've she's got been a, saying some yeah, very interesting things yes. i've heard right so i've got in a love hate relationship with her <laughs> <Yeah>. right now <laughs> it's like what do you want lately exactly. come on <laughs> i know but you know, again, she was one of those few that would speak up against Bollywood, right? So, mm -hmm. and so then she had to stand on her talent, which she did. But then she went a little offside, right? yes. but which is fine. Like, you know, yeah. she uh, decided to uh, bring her political views into the mix. And, yeah. you know, everybody has a right to their political views. But I think hers are like, she's not even, she's not even educated on them. So yeah. that's what, uh, like, actually it's makes It's like you it have sad. to look at all sides, right? Yes, absolutely. To bring it back to your career, Mona, when yes. I'm curious to know, as far as you being a detective, and how much of that going into the police force has shaped what you personally went through. You know, how much of that has been based off of what you've chosen to do? Because here you are now, you know, you left someone who clearly didn't serve you. You did the, at that time, what felt impossible. And you left someone that you know you did not... Uh, need to spend the rest of your life living with right so let's give that kudos because that's not easy to do at that time or just even just in general for anyone in your situation um i'm mean, gonna say especially culturally yeah. no matter how anyone feels about that um like once again i've had people i've known and family members where it's like they just deal with it and yeah. it's just like that is not okay yeah. um and that's why in part of the reason is if this episode helps anyone divorce someone they're with that just clearly they shouldn't be with, then hell yeah, tell Absolutely. us that. Because when it comes from the perspective of a first generation Canadian yes. um, who's in his mid-20s <laughs> and says, do it, it, just, it doesn't come off the same way as it would <laughs> from your perspective, right? Exactly. The thing is, like, we cannot tell people what to do. Like, exactly. I cannot tell a person that... If this marriage is wrong for you, get out. What I can tell them is that they're, the life that, as you know right now, can is not really a good life. You can 
have it way better. Of course, I think that's the fear is yeah. they don't know what is to come afterwards. Yes. You are the perfect outcome and aftermath of look how independent <laughs> and awesome Mona, the product of Mona <laughs> is, right? And I'm sure there's so many other aspects to you, but already I could just tell that like, that independence is worth it. And I feel like we live in a society now, no matter what culture we're from, where I'm able to admit this, we're all afraid to be alone. We all do struggle for the most part to just spend um, company by ourselves. So it's like, okay, now as we get older, that intensifies the feeling of, oh, like, again, now let's talk about the shelf life of marriage, right? Especially for females. They're like, well, then if it's not this person, who is it? When is it going to be my turn? But I love how I think we shared it earlier before we were on air. It's like, okay, well, maybe turn or no turn. What if marriage just isn't in the equation? And maybe it's not meant for everyone. Or when it is your turn, it it should happen more gracefully instead of forcefully, right? Absolutely. Like, I I think that's, I think people need to, and I think COVID has done a little bit of it where people are scared of being alone. And people get scared of being alone as they get older because mortality is reminded, they're reminded about their mortality. But for me, I think it's been very interesting that I'm not actually, I'm alone in many ways, but I'm not lonely. Um, I've had a really big relationship in between, but it didn't work out. Um, When it didn't work out, I was like, you know, first when I got into that relationship, you know, it was that typical eyes met with a strong attraction and we went, both went in it, you know, because there was this awesome attraction and there was a lot of energy between us. But as we lived together for two years, again, the red flags started showing up. And I can say that he was not right for me, but I think I was not the right person for him. Mm. Because for me, I know myself and that what I want and who I am. I am thoroughly independent. I like my space. I like um, to do have time out with just my friends where I do my friends. I do not need to be with somebody 24-7. He, on the other hand, needed all that things. Mm-hmm. So I was not able to provide him the things he was looking for. So we went our separate ways. And that was probably, that one, that relationship probably taught me way more than leaving my marriage did. Mm. Because when I left my marriage, I became very focused. I became focused that I had to build a life for myself and my daughter because I did not want her, did not want to come into a situation where I would have to go back. I wanted her to know that we, we women are not second class citizens. And we can stand on our own feet. So after I left, I went to the shelter. From shelter, I went and applied for EPS. I still like remember the day I went and applied for EPS. Um, but I wasn't successful. So then I'm like, what am I going to do with my life? So I went back to school. Actually, I upgraded my sciences. Because I had also been out of school for seven years at that point, And I was doing Bachelor of Arts. And then there was a family member from his side of the family who was supporting me who said, well, I'm a nurse. I've done very well as a nurse. Why don't you think about it? I was like, okay, at least it'll get me a job and I will not be dependent on anybody else. Mm. So I finished my uh, nursing, uh, first finished my um, 
upgrading. I applied to the nursing school at Grand McEwen for the BSc for the two-year transfer program with U of A. I had just finished my first year of nursing when I got a call from EPS and they were running a program called Visible Minority Job Development Program where they'd gone through all the applicants and picked up a few applicants they thought there was potential. But whatever reasons we had failed at whatever stage, they could help us um, in the sense, not make give us any um, favorism. It was you still had to earn it, mm. but like they could uh, help you with getting fit. They could help you if you had English was you're not strong. Um, if you're like mine was English was okay. And my fitness needed a lot of work at that time. Uh, but mine was like, I did not know how to write exams over here. Oh. We do multiple choices here. I came from India where you write and write and write and yeah. you confuse the examiner and <laughs> like, they just okay. pass you. Yeah, it's like they put enough effort Exactly. In now I have to pick A, B, C, D, E, F, yeah. G. I'm like, uh, C? Apparently yeah. those are not the right answers every time, right? So, mm -hmm. yeah. So, um, so that was my weakness. So we were five of us us in that batch and we went to a tutor who told us you know like taught us and then we we worked within eps we had to do physical fitness every morning we had to go to the tutor after after we were done work we paid for that program and was i think eleven dollars and nine dollars nine or ten dollars an hour so you know still had to pay my bills still had yeah. to do everything i still had a child but uh so when when i got this program I was like, oh, I'm just finishing nursing, like one year. Like I'm invested in here, right? Yeah. And this does not guarantee that I'll become a police officer. This just guarantees that I they might give me the tools to get and write the exam again. And this was going to be my third time writing the exam. And if I failed, there was going to be no other comebacks. So I had to do a lot of soul searching for that. I'm like, do I want to do this? Yeah, you got eggs in two different baskets. Yes. And you got to choose one at the end of the yes. day. Yeah. And I talked to my nursing instructors and my nursing instructors were like, run away, Mona, from nursing. Run. I'm like, are you supposed to encourage me to stay? So like, don't do this. Don't this do is this. messed up what we have to do. Exactly. And then I was like, I went to talk to my parents and my parents were like, what do you want to do? I said, I don't think I want to do policing because there was this thing in me that wanted, like, spoke, like it actually felt like a passion that I really wanted to do it. So I got into the VMJD program, went through the whole program, uh, wrote my exam after. I remember uh, writing my exam, passing my exam. I'm so excited. And then that day, I remember it because Rithik Roshan's first movie came out, and I'm a big fan of Rithik Roshan. <laughs> and I went to got to go see the movie after. Treated so I was yourself. Like, I love I it. I know. I love like you know me and Anmol went to see it. I was That's like, awesome. I, you know, so he's he's always been my favorite, even though Anmol tells me some stories about him, but whatever. Yeah. You know, and then uh, I got into class, and the class was supposed to start on September 11th, 2000. So a year before 9/11 happened. Yeah. So I went in summer, I went to India and I was like really buff at that time because I'd been working out and Good I, shape. I was excellent shape. And I am like a woman that actually uh, gets really big buffed. Like, mm. you, like I am like, you were chiseled. I was, and I was in Jalandhar and I was working out and the guys yeah. would all be standing watching me. Probably shook. I know. And then, you know how we went to the shop one day, me yeah. and my mom. 
and you know in india they have no filters yeah, so i had like was wearing shorts and when i used to work out also i was wearing shorts and we went to the shop and i don't know this guy but this guy has seen me working out and i had really short hair yeah like i had that um uh the spiky short hair like they're like oh, a boy oh there cut. you go so i was like you know i've done it like i've done everything you can think of yeah colors everything that's awesome and I'm at this shop and I think we were trying to buy a belt or something. And this guy looks at me and says, Oh, And my mom's standing there looking at me and I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, oh my God. Like, you know, in Punjabi, when you say things and and I'm like, oh, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Know? you. <laughs> you saying your legs are really big yeah, and strong. Right, right, right. So because I used to like go to the gym, then I would go to the stadium and do the stairs and all those nice. kind of things yeah. right and i was like as in my 20s i could do those things <laughs> now i'm in my 50s oh my god <laughs> and i was like it's embarrassing also at the same time because the way they say like i know it's meant well but in the punjabi words are so like crude they're, they're sometimes very strong. yeah and i'm like so being nice i'm like thank you very much blah blah and my mom's like looking at him she's like he thinks you're going to take him to canada with you yeah. right <laughs> He could tell, you know, exactly. they didn't all the whole NRI thing, non-residential exactly. Indian. They I look know. differently based no, off the clothes and the way you're walking, all of it. And I'm like, okay. So, yeah, that was so funny. Then I came back and class started and two weeks into class, I injured my foot. I broke my foot. Oh. We had a, we, every Fridays, used we have stress days. So, they'd stress you to the max. And we were doing a jumping on a chair and down and my foot twisted and it broke. And I kept going for like before you realized. So what do you do now? Your foot is broken. And I'm like, oh, shit. Like, you know, this is what I chose. And now I'm probably going to, you know, they're going to let me go. Especially when your body's needed. Yeah. And, you know, something that was the best thing that ever happened to me at that time. Because... Um, it the EPS kept me on obviously as a recruit but there were some things in me that were like still I had to work on because you know I just focused on getting my life together I had not dealt with anything that I had gone through um, yes I had become physically fit but mentally I wasn't there so EPS kept me as a recruit for a whole year I um um worked on my physical fitness i worked on my mental um strong like i built on i worked on my self-worth and that's when i had so much support from the members of eps like the mainstream eps members um my sergeants my constables uh, they helped me they believed that i could do it and they made me believe that i could do it unfortunately i didn't have any support from the few brown officers we had that time but i had support from the main uh, officers they mm -hmm. like you know um making me work out making me like making me feel part of the family um they believed so much in me that i had no choice but to believe in myself start believing in myself and then I went back to class the next year and I graduated on um, 15th of February, 2002. And uh, then as got into, it got into patrol, did patrol for a while. I 
um, got seconded to a lot of areas like recruiting, homicide, gang unit to assist with some files they were working on. You know, we had a lot of issues with gangs at that time in Millwood, especially with our community. Um, so they needed somebody who could speak the language and who was far away from the community or did not care what the community thought of her. And um, I went to five, like, I, I, it's so interesting. I find like, I would never come to you, Kenny, and tell you how to do your job because you're mm -hmm. doing your job. And yeah. I have no clue. Well, like, I know it's a lot of work. Podcasts are a lot of work. Even being in the fitness in industry is a lot of work. I don't have expertise in there. Mm -hmm. And I have no, even if I, if I don't attempt to try your line of work and tell you advice on how to do your job, that's like, that's not fair. Mm -hmm. But like, I remember when I got on, Indian people would say, oh, unnu ta lord si saadi kuriyan di, taahi tenu lalea. And I'm like, so they need our girls, so they took you. Oh, that's the way they looked at you as a token. Yes. Like, here's, we just need someone to yeah. be a police officer. So, yeah. And I'm like, do you have no idea the struggle I've gone through? Like, policing predominantly is a male dominated, even today, male dominated career. Mm -hmm. Females have to work hard. As a minority female, you have to work 10 times harder than that to prove yourself. So they don't know the struggles people go through and what your job entails, right? So um, things like I think there was a concert happening at some place and I was doing special duty and the guys are going out. The rules say you can't come back in, especially if you're going out to get drunk and then come back. Oh, like the, another police, the male police officer, the Punjabi, he would have yeah. let us back in. Why are you not letting us back in? They would call me names. You know, she's like, like bitch and stuff like that. Going to calls where it's, um, uh, they're asking for a Punjabi speaking member. I'm the Punjabi speaking member. Oh, you can't come into our house. We don't want to talk to you. You're divorced. Oh my goodness. Right. Or you'll teach our wives to get divorced. I'm like, I wish I had that much power to teach people to, you know, leave their husbands. Yeah. Right. You're like, if, if you're so worried about that, then maybe they should. Yeah. Right? Exactly. I mean, you'd, you'd, you'd have all the confidence in the world knowing yeah. things are going well if you didn't just say that to me. Yeah. That's frustrating because it sounds to me like, Mona, the first people that you think would be there to support you in such a like highly regarded position, well-respected yes. position to, you know, help our community feel safer and more secure. Yeah. The first people to ridicule it are our own. Yeah. You know, I, are your own people. Yeah. I had a, a, a traffic stop, like where I stopped a vehicle. Uh, with our with one of our guys and he was he was known to be you know doing bad stuff and but he didn't have insurance he didn't have registration he didn't have his driver's license i pull him over i'm going to seize his car give him tickets and he starts threatening me he's threatening me and he's like i'm going to kill you i'm going to do this i'm going to do that and i at that time lived in millwoods and everybody knew where I lived. I hadn't mm. hidden it. Like, you know, it, it's easy to find out where the brown cop lives. You know, everybody knows mm -hmm. where you live. So then he stood in front of my car and he's, and he's threatening to uh, sexually assault me. And then he's undoing his pants and he's standing and trying to, you know, masturbate. Wow. So, you know, so I had to call for... Uh, 
a, uh, another car to come in and then he left the scene. And then I forgot about this. Then six months later, his girlfriend comes to front counter to make a report saying that this guy is losing his shit. He has said to me that he's going to kill this officer. That was me. And then I find out... Six months later, he's still upset about it, right? And then I find him standing right outside my house, like across the street, watching my daughter walk to school. So I think that was one of the moments where I... Like I, nothing's like I'm not a person who scares easily, but when it comes to my daughter, mm, yeah. that was unacceptable. That's where it got very, very yes. personal. And then that's when like EPS had to step up and do a threat assessment, and you know all those kind of things. And Mo's school was knew that this this person was not allowed to come to, or yeah, to school and stuff. Yeah, it got right? very serious. It did, just because I was doing my job exactly yeah it's terrible I'm, I'm sorry you had to go through that well you know like i i signed up for that job i'm yeah. okay with it you that's why i'm wondering like how much of a surprise i mean not just this but like just in general how much of that was a surprise for you then because i feel like the unfortunate stigma there is to um some people i i, I say this again externally yeah. from my biased opinions of what i hear is uh unfortunately people will view um and, and say like just really harmful things to police officers when I believe I'll never forget what one officer told me uh, it was actually on the show and he's like you know what Kenny he's uh he he's a sergeant lieutenant officer if I'm saying that correctly out in BC okay he's like Kenny the thing is as officers is we see the one percent of whatever it is it's one percent to you is our 99 percent yes. so we see it every day yeah. And we are we are the unspoken heroes. We we go do things that you don't see to make sure that you don't see it, you know. But uh, he, I'm just curious to know how much of what you gone through was a surprise when it's like you know growing up as a kid, people would say officer, they'd be like, oh, it's so much pr- it's so much pride. Then in this generation, especially now with the internet and when people are ridiculing yeah. officers or being like, oh, you're gonna be a pig, and they they say things like that. Yeah. I just can't imagine, of course, like just down to reputation and like it being such a well-merited position, how much that can like, just, it's hurtful at the end of the day. It's like when I get uncles that say, oh, you're a trainer? Ya? Like, oh, you're a trainer? Bus? real estate? Like, oh, you should sell homes, make the big money. You're going to do this type of come like be someone's servant. But again, it's like, people don't understand the value it holds, what you really do. And that's a big part of what we do on the show is just to disclose that information. But were you aware at all of this before going into the position? Uh, not this much, like, see, like, I'm growing up in India where nobody goes to police and police. So I, and then when I went through my, uh, separation, how the police assisted me, like, you know, we had a court order, we did the, um, child exchange at a police station. I had a very positive experience with policing. Yeah, you had good support. I had very time. good support. And then when I joined the service, I had very positive experiences. That is not to say that things haven't like people haven't experienced their racism from like other police officers or that's not to say that mistakes haven't been made. I'm sure they have and people's um experiences are valid. But I think to me, it is like, you can't lump us all together. Like when George Floyd happened, 
And I am no fan of George Floyd because he he did a lot of bad things. But what happened to him uh, by a police officer wasn't correct. Mm. That wasn't acceptable. And you will see majority of police officers actually hate officers that are either corrupt or misuse their power. Because they give everyone a bad because name. Because they give everybody a bad name. No, just like there's good lawyers, there's yes. bad lawyers, or there's good trainers. Yeah, there's going like, to be... You know, uh, we know so many, like there's so many uh, teachers that are pedophiles, but we don't call every teacher a pedophile. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are so many, like look at uh, with the church, right? Priests. So, so the priests. So there's like, but you can't lump them all together. Yeah. And most of us are more than willing to be better. We want to be better. We want to be better. How, like I've been in places where I know that I could have done a better job of dealing with somebody. But people also have to remember, under the uniform, we are human beings. And if I'm dealing with somebody and I'm just being called names and saying, fuck you and all those kind of things, like I have a lot of patience, but I don't have God's patience, Yeah, unfortunately, right? And sometimes we... Let, we let our emotions get the best of us too. But that doesn't make us bad cop or a bad person. So I think people need to understand that. Again, people want to tell us how to do our jobs without knowing what our jobs entail, what we go through. And as you said, the the person, the member from BC had mentioned, we deal with people on their worst days. We don't, nobody calls police when there's something happy happening. Yeah. People only call police when they're having their worst day. And when they're having their worst day, you know, people say and do all kinds of bad things. Some heightened emotions to say the least. And sometimes we are making those split second decisions. We are like, I've gone to many, uh, or I've dealt with many, um, files where um you know the people are like threatening and has have beaten somebody up like we've gone to domestics where the victim has been beaten and but the minute you go to arrest the suspect they the victim flips and says why are you doing that to that person and they starts fighting with you wow because that happened. Like, you called me. Like, exactly. This is where we're, but, we're serving justice here. <laughs> well, there's no justice. <laughs> we can't serve justice. Yeah. And I like, you know, unfortunately, we don't have a justice system. We have a legal system. Yeah. And we have to follow what the legal system tells us. And it's not like I just make the rules to go arrest somebody else because, you know, like people need to understand, like, I have to follow the rules because I can be done if I don't follow proper procedures and I love my job and I take pride in doing a good job so I try to do what the best to my the best of my ability yeah. um you know but when you're just doing your job and you're being absolutely fair to the person and the person still wants to because you know they they know they're in the wrong but they don't want to admit it and so they want to take it out on you. They are angry and they want to take it out on you. Yeah. So that really, I don't think it surprises me anymore. 
but it does hurt at times because all of us come to do this job because we want to serve and we don't think of it as a job we really think of it as a calling some sometimes the things we see you cannot unsee there's yeah there's probably so much of what you've seen and gone through that uh, of course has shape shifted your perspective on um how others choose to live their life based off the decisions that they have made leading up to this moment um and and ahead and that's why I'm, I'm sure there's so many but i'm curious to know mona for you what perhaps was one of the most memorable cases you've worked on to date um memorable in the sense that per, I, I think in this case maybe it's it almost changed the way you really truly think about people i will tell you about a file but i did not work on that file but it impacted mm-hmm. me because actually there are a couple of them the first one was when i was still in block 2 i was still that one was the one i worked on um i was still in block 2 i was still with my uh, field training officer and i went to my first suicide call it was an 11 year old who was it was um spring break his uh, mother and the older sibling had gone to europe i think for a field trip because you know in spring break usually they have spring him and his father had been in the day had the day together they went out they did things together then they were going to bake cookies and the father got started in the kitchen the son went upstairs and came downstairs he was holding something in his hand his father remembers and then he walked right by him to go to the basement he said oh we're going to big it's like dad i'll be right back he went downstairs and he hung himself oh my god and the father after about 10 15 minutes the son's not responding goes downstairs and finds him i cannot even imagine the pain of that father and my daughter i think was this was 2002 she was 9 years old very close to the same very age, close age same oh that's age. terrible and we were working nights and i like that was the first time because there's they've had like i've had um family members that have committed suicide but this impacted me different this was a child and to yeah. wrap my head around something that a child would have like have had lost all hope at such a young age at such a young age that they felt there was nothing left for them i still remember we went to the hospital with the father uh then we before we went back to write the report i told my pto i said can we go to my home because i want to go see my daughter and so that that i'll never forget that yeah I've been to many um like you know homicide scenes and those yeah you know those are adults and still very wrong to lose a life like that but that one left a big impact on my life and the second one I would say is that I didn't work on it and it's coming I think it's 10 years now I think it's 20 or 12 13 years 2010 it happened yes so it's uh, been 
12 years this year. Just happened. Uh, just went by. When uh, that ex-Mountie killed his wife in Melwoods. Oh. So we had been working with that, his wife, uh, Apna guy, like an Indian man. And... Um, me and my friend, uh, we both had met a day before, like the day before, like say the evening before for dinner, and we'd just been chatting. And I, we both said, I said, you know, he's going to kill her. She's going to be dead. We, I like clearly remember saying that. Yeah, is this week, based off of maybe some reports you reports guys kept getting? And that we and had been talking like, to is... her. We'd been trying to help her to get out. Yeah. Um, but uh, he had too much control over her, and. Then next morning, like, I was supposed to work in the night next night. So I slept in. And I, when I woke up, I think it was 11 o'clock in the morning. Like, the first night you can never sleep because, you know, you've been awake for, like, last few day, few weeks, a few days you've been, like, waking up early. And then yeah, the whole shift is in. all over. And I got a call from somebody that I knew. And they said, this is what's happened. And I remember just, like, I was standing and I just fell. Oh. I just fell and I felt so helpless and that I had failed. And she had two young boys. She had no family here. And all like then the later the community was talking about, oh, you know, she was have like me he thought she was having an affair, so he had no choice. Like he, like, you know, there was a big file, like, case about it. But I was like, you no, know, he was a police officer. So he knew what was right from wrong. Oh, he was an officer too. Yeah, wow. he was an RCMP member. And I, I feel so sad for those boys, her, her sons, because they... They, she had no family here, so nobody was going to fight for those kids. So the well, kids he, left, lived with his family, and he eventually went to. Oh. He got he got uh, cr found criminally not responsible by like yeah because because wow. he claimed uh, uh, that his mental health he oh. wasn't in his correct mind. That's terrible. Well, I mean, in either case, both boys lost their parents in one yes. night. Yeah, one through the harmful action of terrible, yeah. terrible yeah. deed, and then. Yeah. Their poor mother had to suffer the consequences of that. And I, I can't imagine, again, going back to your point thematically, what we're talking about, where at the end of the day, it's your choice and you have to make it whether or not you leave this person yes. and everyone else trying to help out, whether it's the law, you know, yes, the mentors, services. your social circle, no one's pulling you out of that home. No. You have to do it yourself. Do it yourself. But it's just, it's so difficult to know that you had to see yeah. the worst possible case yes. scenario happen out of that. Like, so, you know, so like uh, files like that affect you, files like where you deal with children that affect you, right? Um, adults, you are two adults who wants to want to beat each other up. That's fine because you're two adults and you're being idiots. So go exactly. ahead. But when you hurt a child, whether you hurt them physically or sexually or emotionally. It's going to affect them for years. It's going to affect them Their whole life. Yeah. Yeah. And especially like especially in our culture when i see that i i am um 
encouraged because we've had recently two files where it's been an East Indian child which was sexually assaulted or abused, uh, where the parents did call the police instead of, uh, you know, saying, oh, let's not talk about it because that's the worst thing you can do. So I'm really encouraged to see that. But I'm also so angered and I feel so that why is this still happening? In it's still carrying on. It's just yeah. dis- disgusting. And it happens again, like you said, so quietly. Yes. It's like you think it's not happening because no one's saying anything, but it's actually happening at, 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 at an excessively fast yes. uh, rate. And there's two scenarios you brought up there, Mona. I think one is suicide prevention related. The other one I'm going to put into impulse control related. We could categorize those two scenarios in many different forms. But and now the knowledge that you've acquired as a detective and through your years of experience as an officer, what do you find has for anyone in these situations, what are questions you've asked or what is this experience allowed you to now see to prevent those two situations from let's say happening? Um, and I know that's, that you could probably write a book on that, but, um, we talked to a lot of people on the show about mental health yes. and suicide and impulse control, whether you marry them together or put them in two different categories, they unfortunately happen in our society today where that phone call could have been prevented. Um, what a child has unfortunately done to themselves could have been prevented. But is there anything that you've discovered in those two scenarios or from a case by case perspective where you could just share on the audience if honestly, if these are situations that have played out in other people's lives that you never know who could be listening to this, um, what you've asked or what you feel like people should do in those cases to prevent that from even happening. I think mental health is very important. Uh, from my own experience, I know that. I've seen it. And acknowledge, first step that our people need to do, especially in our community, is acknowledge that there is mental health issues. That is like, you know, men, when you mention mental health, people say, oh, mental ega. No, he, he's not, he or she's not mental. They're just having some crisis that either makes, has, or they've had trauma in their life that has led them to have depression, anxiety, so many other things. Like I'm not a doctor, so I can't specify them, but there's so many things that can trigger that for a young person. The pressure we put on our children, like, oh, you have to be best at, like, you know, you got 80%, why didn't you get 95%? Or why didn't you get 98%? What is more important is that your child be happy is more important or your child be miserable trying to kill themselves to get that 100%. Um, yes, I get that, you know, education is very important. Getting into that school, pre- prestigious school is very important. But whether you become a doctor from a Harvard or you become a doctor from University of Alberta, is there any difference? this unrealistic standard that parents in a way are putting on their children absolutely and why is it that when a child comes to us and say after they've done grade 10 or 11 or 12 or whatever and they say i need a break from school and i want to take some time i know you want me to get into either nursing or like doctor or engineering but that i don't feel it 
So am I supposed to get into a job that I'm not going to enjoy doing for the rest of my life? Just because you can say your son is a doctor or your daughter is an engineer? Or would you rather that I go to a job where I love what I do? I look forward to going to that. And what is wrong with taking a break because you have put yourself through enough pressure to get whatever percentage you wanted to get into a prestigious school and then you're not sure and the parents are like no no you don't know why that child's coming to you to ask for that break why not have a conversation with your child say okay why what what is going on with you and the child might say no i just want to travel the world I want to see because this is the time. Why can't we be supportive of that? People are going back to school when they're in their 70s. So and there is no timeline that, oh, you have to be a doctor by 25. You have to be married by 29. You have to have children by 35. Whose timeline is this? And why do we have a timeline? What works for somebody else may not work for your child. And you have to stop comparing. We have to really stop comparing our children to other people's children. Big time. Like, unne da dek inna vada karvi banalia, vyavi ho gaya. It's very unhealthy. Very unhealthy. And ha- yeah, he might have a big $2 million house, but is he a happy person? Yeah. Is, yeah, the person's married, but are they happy in their marriage? Or is that a marriage of convenience? There's two things that really stick out to me with this. Um, I feel like I can start with the concept of, I believe, Mona, um, from a South Asian perspective, our parents, whom I'm speaking from my opinion, being first-generation Canadian, almost had a life they lived that was like, pedal to the metal like we're we're, we're going to do everything we we can to build as quickly as we can in the most highest stress situation possible because there's so much on the line i'm moving to this country starting with nothing in my pocket let's fucking go yeah. like 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 the focus is there i got kids i got my own yeah. parents to think of we're bringing in family let's go it's go time um so that now has come with a lot of avoidance that's come with, okay, we focus so much on building our careers. We did an amazing job doing it. So now we want to make sure our kids preserve this as well. And they also do it quick. No time to be wasted. You know, that's what's going to get you your marks. You're going to study, 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 go to school after school, get a good job, get a good job, marriage. But like, it's insinuating the same thing fast, fast, fast. And I notice now living in a very, you could say, uh, social culture, right? What unfortunately is neglected is the social aspect, but you're getting parents going like Sanukia, right? Like who cares? Like we, we didn't have it either. So what are you, what are you crying about? But now when you factor in technology, you factor in um, being able to see other people's, you're now seeing other people from your lens as a first generation Canadian, or just as someone who wants balance, we're like, well, this person's like, they're happy. They're living a good life. They have these social factors involved, like going out and traveling, but they're still able to do what needs to be done. Because because life is um, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Yeah. 
Like there's, there's so much stages that are needing to be there. And unfortunately, I noticed that there's some parents that have this concept. And this, I think, will catch you up to my family friend situation mm-hmm. where I asked advice from you for. And she was coming from a perspective saying, no, Kenny, my parents have drilled in my head that people are bad. Yeah. Don't trust anybody. You know, all these people that are trying to, you know, be lovey-dovey towards you. No, watch. They're going to they're, they're gonna turn a foot on you. And okay, I get it. Parents are coming from a place where maybe there's people who burned them that they trusted. And it had to do with like going back to our point, the first person who gives you advice, that's who you trust because that's all you had at that time. But I think it goes back to things that even you've mentioned is parents should take a little bit more of an understanding of, okay, who are you with? These are your friends. I'd love to meet them, Yes. right? I'd love to see who you're hanging out with. Great. And then the trust factor and going back to the point where it's like, okay, I can't hold on to this too tightly because if I do, my kid's going to rebel and I'm never going to be able to have this connection with them. And I think that's that second part I wanted to address is like, we just need to be able to trust that, you know what, a life that's worth fulfilling that deserves to be lived is yes, no more information, get educated and have a good job. But now you got to ask your child, you got to ask yourself, what am I doing for my personal life? Who are the people I'm going to share this world with? Because if you're building up your child to live a life, to be successful, but live alone, I'm sorry, but my therapist is going to tell you that there's nothing left at that point. Because now you drilled someone because she shares with me, it was really unique. I wanted to share this. She's like, Kenny, she's like, um, like we're working on myself, just slowing things down, being in the moment. She's like, I work with a lot of very successful people who they've hit the top ceiling. They hit CEO status. They hit the the, the biggest position they could go for because all their life they've been told and they themselves were building it up, but they're miserable in their marriage. They, they don't have a friendship with any friends that they once upon a time had. They don't have anything with their kids for the most part. But these are people who unfortunately sacrifice so much for that one thing to only, once they have it, wonder what's next after when they're nothing. There, there isn't, this is it. But you focus so much on what the next thing is that you've neglected other aspects that need to be right now, you know? Yeah, no, that's, um, it's very interesting because that's what we focus on, right? I will tell you something about what I can relate to. Is that, um, I fo- as I said before, I started focusing on my career. I focused, focused, focused on my career. Um, then when I met uh, somebody that I thought that this relationship was going to be great, uh, you know, like, you know, I was 40, like, great, blah, blah, blah. So two years of a relationship, great. It When it broke up, instead of dealing with everything and doing some interception for myself to figure out what I decided was I'm going to bury myself into doing more because then I don't have to deal with the stuff. I um, So that happened in 2012, 2013. Then 13, somebody approached me, hey, Mona, do you want to run for politics? Oh, yes, great. Let's run for politics. I ran for uh, um, like for federally trying to get the nomination for NDP. Mm. Uh, but Janice Irvin got it and she ran against... Um, Carry Mr. Carry Diot. Um, but, and then when that didn't work out, then I had to stop and go, okay, now what? And I wanted to do all those things because I wanted to avoid dealing with 
all the stuff that I had been through, even some childhood trauma, uh, stuff that I went through with, in my marriage, you know, then working on the job, like, you know, you don't, we, in our line of work, it, people never talked about stuff that you saw because, you know, that was a sign of weakness. Mm -hmm. And as a female, you do not talk about it because then the men, everybody will think you're weak and you're going to cry and all those kind of things. Then the relationship breaking up. And in the, that time, Anmol had already moved to uh, India. So she was always my inspiration. She was always my support. She was the one that I focused on to why I wanted to do something with my life. So she wasn't there. Yeah, it's hard when she must have left, right? The MDNS yeah. syndrome must have kicked in too, right? Absolutely. Like I never felt like I had to hold her back. But suddenly my life felt it was empty. I knew my life was not empty, but it felt like that. And then I had to sit back and deal with everything. And I did. And it was freaking painful. It was hurt. And I had to also acknowledge where I as person had not, like, you know, had done some things that I should have done better. Realize that I'd been going so strong that somewhere in my brain also, I was having the effects of th different things that I have been through in my life. And at first, like, no, I'm strong. I don't need to deal with anything. I don't need to go see a doctor. I don't need to see a therapist, right? Because I, I can do it all. I've done it so far. I can do it all. And then I went into a phase where it's just called feeling sorry for yourself. Really felt sorry for myself. Mm. I, all I had to do was sit and eat pizza and get up and go to work. Stop working out. Gained a lot of weight. Um, and was comparing myself to everybody. Oh, because what was the difference? I had done a lot, but there was no social media. Mm -hmm. So nobody knew anything. Now, no recognition, no, rec no support, yeah. really. And I wasn't, I'm never the kind of person who wants recognition. It was just like, so because my mental health wasn't in the right place, I started comparing myself. I talked to my daughter. I'm like, oh my God. And I love supporting people, like, because I know that my people did not support me. But when I see like Sen sisters, Farah, like yourself, mm -hmm. I go, like, I'm like, I'm the chair there that I want to support. Like my daughter does yeah. stuff. I have friends do stuff. I'm like all about it. Go support them. Put them on social media. Put them. So I'm sitting and having a conversation with my daughter one day on FaceTime. I'm like, oh my God, my life sucks. I haven't done anything in my life. And, you know, I'm wasting my life away. And she's like, okay, first thing, take out your Instagram. I had like 5,000 people that I was following. Mm -hmm. I was told by her that within a week, I have to be down to only the people that I actually know and I really care about. Awesome strategy. So from 5,000 people, I went to 500, or I think I might be at between 500 and 550 right now. I just want to recognize the power of that because of course, I'm sure you realize what she was advising you to do is yeah. whatever you're scrolling towards, that's where it's starting. The comparison starting with the people yeah. you keep looking at. And second thing, she was like, mom, you have to give yourself some grace and some time. You've done so much stuff. You have gone through so much stuff. It's okay to have 
to be where you are right now. You were so, sprinting. You were, yeah. This is going back to the whole point. You were on like, okay, let's put the jets yeah. on. Exactly. <laughs> and then you finally hit a moment where you're like, okay, holy shit, I let my daughter home. Yeah. I need to figure out my, you know, self-fulfilling prophecy yeah. associated with why I need to continue doing what Abs- I'm doing. Right? Absolutely. And my thing is like, I'm not like, I, I drink, but I'm not like, I don't think, like I don't, I don't crave alcohol to numb anything, mm. no drugs, no any other thing. My thing was laying on the couch, eating pizza and watching TV, then getting up after four days and going to work and then coming back and repeating the cycle. Yeah. And then it was like, okay, enough of this. You've given yourself time. Like you, I had to give myself time. I had to be okay with doing nothing because I cannot be, I'm a person who likes, uh, I'm with, I do better when I'm structured. I have some things to work towards. Or I know like I just came off uh, night. So yesterday was my uh, relaxing day and recovery day to do nothing. Today, it was back to like yoga, walk, do this and do housework or whatever needs to be done. So it's back to that. And that will be now till when I go back to work on Wednesday. So Mm -hmm. that's, but I've learned that about myself. Yeah. And then it was like, okay, I need to go see a doctor. So the first step was going to talking to my doctor and saying... Did you realize you needed to do that after you tried some of the stuff and it wasn't enough? It or? wasn't enough. Yeah. Um, because, like, I, like, even though I knew the relationship wasn't right and it had ended, I'm like five years down the road, I'm like, I still love him. I was like, mm. why? Five years later, why do I love yeah, him? Yeah, you're like, this isn't... This isn't right, right? So then... And I was like, I think I need help because obviously something in my brain is not firing right. So I went, saw the doctor, got myself on medication, started seeing uh, a therapist and talking to the therapist of all the things that have happened in my childhood too. And then everything else, it was like, you know, those aha moments, right? And then sitting at home and being okay with sitting at home by myself. And no noise, no external noise. Um, I go, I, I am very big believer in meditation, yoga, turn, like turning off the TV. I don't want to listen to, I don't want to see it. There's yeah. nothing. Just that, turn off all the noise. Yeah. And it, even like driving here today, like usually I like either have a podcast or music. Have something on. Uh, I just turned everything off. Nice. I was just like, I'm just going to get Enjoy into. Enjoy the silence. Yeah. Enjoy the silence. Which many of us, including myself, can uh, take notes on recognizing the uh, But silence is that. so hard. It's tough. Because yeah. the thoughts that come up, and some of those thoughts can be very negative. And talking to yourself, like, right? Talking to myself, oh my God, I've not done anything with my life. It's like, you have done things, and now the gen- next generation is doing it. That doesn't mean that you stop doing things. You still continue to do things that bring you joy, but now you can do things for yourself instead of doing because you wanted, like even those who are from myself, but they were because there was this, oh, I need to have a life for myself and my child. I don't want to be dependent, like I don't want to be dependent on, I don't want to stay on welfare for my life. So that was a different kind of a hustle. Now it is a different kind of phase where it is like, I'm okay with being who I am, speaking my mind, being respectful, learning from others, and just enjoying 
my life. Hearing this for me right now couldn't be more um, relevant, right? So I, I really appreciate you sharing that because I'm Mona, someone who's very driven by what's next. Yeah. And I personally, in my life, I find being that we're on a podcast and I'm part of the creation of one where we care so much about what we do for a living. And that's one third of the time we spend. I recently had had the second time where I uh, personally wanted to see uh, if I felt like and my, uh, you know, who I, I work for feel like I'm ready to be in a senior uh, divisional management role. So currently I've had the chance to manage two clubs and I've been on the pursuit this, you know, yes. that, that, that treadmill steadfast approach of going as fast as I possibly can to get to the next step. So now as I come to terms with like letting it sink in that, okay, I'm still not ready yet for that position. Uh, it's very, it's very impactful for what you just said there to just be aware of how good you have it right now and to be in a state and position where, okay, Maybe it's okay to not constantly chase what's next and just recognize what you could do to improve what you're already doing. And, and, and also enjoying it. Yeah, enjoy it. Yes. yes. Enjoying where you are right now. Yeah, sometimes we don't. You have these little flickering moments where they'll go by so quickly and we'll realize that, okay, that's a moment in time now that I, I may never get back again. So creating those memories, but also just, I find for someone like me, I'm always thinking about what's ahead as opposed to thinking, okay, five years ago, Kenny would be in awe with the things that I am doing now. But because of that mindset, and it's so, we live in a time now where motivational speakers are like, it's like acid sometimes to people like me who hear it. Cause it's like, yeah, never settle. Like keep going for the next thing and keep going and keep going and never. And it's like, okay. But also just that can make you so far away from the present moment and just realizing right now, what do I have control over? And instead of begging and like, for me, I feel like now I'm at the point where I'm, I'm asking for the promotion. I'm asking for what's next. Do such a good job in what you're doing now that, that, that they ask you. Yes. And, and I'm at that point now in my life where I have to very much so stay the path. Um, like my brother said when he got cut out of the UFC and so many people were like, okay, is he done? Is he not wanting to go back? First thing he told me is, you know what? Everyone has a different story. And I'm not by no means am I not done. It's just I now know where the, what I need to do to improve. Yeah. Um, same thing for me. Okay. Getting my reps in. I'm two years into the fitness industry. I'm still a baby. I'm still in the infancy. Yes. And there's just still so much more that I need to experience to be ready for a position to talk about what high performance looks like because I went through it. And uh, I just, I have to look at those moments positively. And I'm sure just everything with what you shared, you've had those moments too, where it's like, yes. have to stay the path. Right? And you know, something that's, when we are in our 20s and 30s, we are taught that this is a time to, you know, do all the hustle and yeah. do everything and get the next one and the next one. But, you know, you were telling, uh, we were talking about before that somebody, when they come to that level and they've achieved whatever they wanted to achieve, but now their marriage is miserable, they've lost their friends, they are there by themselves alone. Yeah, it's tunnel vision only on that one yeah. thing. And there's nobody with them to enjoy what they've achieved. So uh, when I took my time putting in for promotion with EPS, at first I had no desire because I was loving, because as you go higher, um, your, um, ex 
things to do differently change also because as a patrol officer you go can or as a constable you have so many more opportunities and so many different areas you can get into gangs or drugs or vice or child protection uh patrol like there's so many units you can go to right you can go to traffic you can like there are a lot of units but when you get promoted there are only certain places you can go to you can go to be a supervisor as a sergeant or you can be a sergeant for patrol you can be a sergeant for say where i was before in communications where all the 911 calls and dispatch calls happen or you can become a detective in certain areas right and then when you get to the next one then you're also then you're moving away from those those frontline investigations to more management style of stuff right mm-hmm. so you have to choose where you want to go yeah so now i've been promoted i got promoted in 2019 to a sergeant and i uh, changed to last year to detective so i'm starting to think about my next next step but i was like because there's a promotion process that's going to start in september of this year but i want to wait another year because mm. i know that i did supervising for nearly 3 years and i've been doing detective for a little over a year okay so i still need to build on these skills and i know that my my supervisor recognizes that i do a lot of good work whenever she needs anybody to go up uh, temporary acting for her it's usually me that goes up so i do have the skills but i know that i want to wait for another year because i'm enjoying what i'm doing yeah right you're currently just enjoying yeah. the process i am right? really enjoying it i have a great team that i work with i'm the only female in the team and i'm crazy as fuck <laughs> i really am because it says my name mona gill and underneath it says crazy brown check crazy brown check i it love really that it really does and um you know and i do all kinds of like i'm very like as i said to you before i'm an open book yeah. whether it's my mistakes if made in life or achievements i've done or even like you know stupid stuff in my life i'm very open about yeah. it so i just feel like i am who i am and sometimes i'm too much for many people mm. and i know that in my relationship i was too much I am too much. Mm. Like too much to handle, quote too, unquote. Yeah, that's what people would say because my energy is too big, too I don't think you're too much to handle. <laughs> Maybe you. because I'm too much to yes. handle. So. <laughs> and and is I'm not for everybody. Mm. And that's fine. You know, for the longest time I'm a pe- people pleaser. I'm a Libra. I'm a people pleaser. I always wanted to, you know, you know, please my parents and then there was this i went through this divorce so i will never do anything that will make my parents feel ashamed of me mm. so i have to always but you know that takes a toll on myself okay and then i also realized that i could become the prime minister of this country and my parents still would not think that's good enough <laughs> so okay who am i who whom do i want to please and who do i want to be accountable for i want to be accountable for myself and the only person that matters in my life is my daughter yeah i don't care if my parents are proud of me or not i don't care if my parents uh think that i'm not a good daughter i want to be a good mother yeah i want to be someone that my daughter looks up to and is proud of i um 
Like I brought up my daughter. I gave her the values, the morals, and I told her what's right from wrong. But I also know that morals change from time to time. And what is good? Like I love when people say, "Oh, she's a very good girl." I'm like, "What is your definition of a good yeah, girl?" Yeah, yeah. Right? So what do you mean by that? Yeah. It's so like especially Indian people will say, "Oh, the bada ichanga munda." You like I've heard that before. I actually had to divorce someone that exactly. was told to me like that. So. Right? So uh, what is that is your definition of what is good? Oh, she does not drink, she does not smoke, she does not wear clothes that they might think are not appropriate or so then then she fits into or he fits into your mold of what is good. Yeah, it's a great good point. Right? Everyone's going to have a very different interpretation of what good is. Absolutely. Yeah. Or they listen to their parents. They never say no to their parents. So, like, they're very respectful to the parents. Yeah, in front of you. You don't know how they treat their parents behind the exactly. closed doors. Yeah. Like, that's why when people say, oh, they have such a great marriage or they're such great people. I'm like, we only interact with them for a very short time. Yeah. And as I said before, when we are interacting with people for short time, of, short time, periods of time, we are always on our best behaviors. It's like a job interview. Yes. Right? You're just going to show up as your best self. Yeah. Right? To be easy to do in a five, ten minute window, right? Exactly. I, I'm curious to know as, uh, you know, as we end off things on the last topic, in getting your promotion as a detective, Mona, and the, the role itself and what it requires of you, um, what exactly is, is one of the most, um, you could say, uh, appreciated, uh, you could say, uh, time you spend in your role that you like most about what you do? You know, if we could go into that detail-wise, because there's what we assume a detective does to the movies and yes. to like what our own assumption is. <laughs> yes. But if you just start off with telling us what you appreciate most about the role and just go into, you know, what is your role and what does it take to be in this position, especially for anyone who is interested in joining the police force or or happens to um, want to just genuinely curiously know, because I'm very curious. <laughs> I'm, I am very curious. So I'm a detective that is with the Southwest Division, and I'm the detective in the role of the investigative response team. So we are anything uh, that isn't too much for patrol to handle, we take over. And anything that homicide doesn't want to deal with, like anybody that's not dead <laughs> yet, we deal with that. Till the person actually, unfortunately, if they die, then homicide takes it over because mm. they are major crimes. So we have major crimes for sex, sexual assault, sex crimes. We have uh, homicide uh, some of them are also child uh, child sex assaults. Those are specialized areas they deal with. So we are the between. We are like the the people that do all the work and then pass on the file. So what I love about being a detective is that you in especially in our positions because we're not in a specialized unit is that we can deal with any kind of investigation. It can be a sexual assault, it can be a fraud, it can be um, lots of things like I've, uh, or it can be a stabbing, an aggravated mm. assault. So um, what I love about it is that each file, even though it can be a stabbing and another stabbing, but each of them can be so different. The investigations can be so different. You can have a complainant that 
or the victim that is cooperative, and then you can have a complainant or a victim that's not cooperative. Some times you don't know the suspect at all, and you have to investigate to find who the suspect is. Mm. Um, like, you know, for that, you have to maybe rely on DNA. You have to rely on witnesses, interviews, like interviewing. I like I enjoy doing that because you talk, get to talk to people. And yes, there's an art to interviewing, but... You know, you just have to treat people with respect. And some people don't don't want to talk to you. They will not talk to you, which you can do anything and they won't talk to you, which is fine. That is their prerogative and that's their right, right? But so I had like right now I just had a stabbing from last year, an end of year that we had a stabbing and I was the primary investigator on that. So like we are five people that work together. And if it's a big file, then we will, like, if I as a primary investigator, I'll assign tasks to all the different team mm-hmm. members. Like, somebody can be my uh, affiant who will write my warrants. Mm-hmm. Another person can be my, if it's going to be a big file, they can be my file coordinator. So we have, uh, we assign tasks on that. So we had this interesting uh, stabbing last year, just on um, December 26th. And... Initially, the complainant gave us a name for the for the person who did it. We had enough probable evidence to say that was the person who did it. But then my uh, victim decided he didn't want to return my calls for a, l- a little while. And then when he returned to come to talk to me, he changed the name completely. And when I did a photo line over the person, they did not uh, pick the person who did it but another person in the phone mm. lineup so that that then means for me is more work is that okay uh i know i have this person that i believe did it they picked the wrong person they, they pick they're they picking the wrong person and now they're giving me the wrong name so there's a reason why he's doing that and so i have to now do the investigation to make sure the person he's picked was not the person who did it because mm. i have to count like you know make sure that maybe I'm wrong, maybe he's right. But then, in the meantime, then I get a, a DNA hit, which tells me the original person is the one who did it, right? So investigations can be complex. They can be easy. Especially when you're trying to take out your own, like, the whole, like, I'm right mentality yes. has to go out the window. Oh, That's the way you explain that, where it's like... I. Very much could be right with all the evidence that's in front of me, but I do need to check this just in case. And that's why we need to have our teammates because yeah. somebody has to t- like be the person who says, maybe you are having a bias here because investigators can get in that way, right? Yeah. Because we are human. And the separation you have to create, right? And we want to be right. <laughs> it's a human human trait. We always want to be right. Yeah. Um, so it's very important to have that. And it's always very... Ev- important to see where the evidence tells you like you know because people will lie uh, unfortunately it's no surprise people lie and people lie to the cops all the time but now i have to try if i can get hold of my complainant again trying to figure out why would he change his story and do you have any tips on knowing when you, someone's lying like if you're someone who <laughs> clearly you're gonna have people that are gonna do it to you or if you've identified ways outside of using a lie detector test oh, of course no. yeah but i mean if if you can insinuate some tips on 
let's say someone's being lied to and they're not too sure what people do in those circumstances. And I know it's not everyone, but if you no. notice anything. I think it's, I think our gut tells us. I've, I'm a big firm believer in your listening to your gut. Yeah. And I say that to women especially. Because we're always, women are always taught to discard the feeling that they might have because, oh, you're just overthinking it. Yeah, that intuition yes. that comes in, right? And it's so important. Like, that's why I think it's so important when we have young kids, especially girls, and they don't want to go say hi to that uncle. Mm-hmm. Instead of saying, no, go say hi to that. Go give him a hug. Listen to your child. Yeah, be like, how come? Yes. Because the kids are kids have great instincts. Kids have excellent instincts. We, as adults drum it out of them yeah like i'm like now i've come to that phase where when i meet little kids i will ask them do can i give you a hug and if they say yes sure and if they say no and the parents are going no no give auntie a hug or i'm like no it's okay no yeah it's it's not what they wanted that's they don't want to do that yeah and that's how you teach them from a very young age that their voice is heard and we have to hear their voice sometimes we kids may not be able to articulate why they don't want to hug that person so but true. if they don't want to hug the person they don't want to sit in their lap please do not yeah. let them it's a very good point especially yeah. in our culture right it's very yeah. we're very used to oh here have this person hold you have this person hold you play with this person hang out with that person i gave my daughter this uh, unfortunately i had to give her this advice when she became a teenager and you know when we went to parties i was very clear with her and i will demonstrate i said when you're giving saying hi to uncle g's you have to hold both your hands here and your hands have to be like this mm. nobody has like i don't want any hands going anywhere yeah whether they mean it or not unfortunately but as a mother it's my job to give her we don't live in utopia let her be aware yes yeah because there's just some creeps out there unfortunately because we and this is a very smart way of guarding yes. hey that's all i need exactly right? go around the room says Sirigal, that's it yeah right because if i don't tell her then who else is going to tell her nobody else is going to tell her yeah because we don't talk about things like that and I've seen it happen so many times, like, you know, where, you know, somebody will graze their hand against your breast and we let it go because we say, oh, probably he just did it by mistake because he wouldn't, we, because our brains don't want to think that somebody that we love and respect would actually do that to us. It's sad our own family members would do yeah. stuff like this. Yeah. Right? It, oh. Yes, and it's uh, unfortunately is very prevalent, mm-hmm. you know, and because <laughs> I'll tell you the story and you, it made me so mad. I was a constable a long time ago, and they asked me to come in to do translations, and this older East Indian male had gotten onto the bus, and there are two different incidents. So one guy, uh, the because, you know, we do this in India and we get away with it. So when we come here, we think we can get away with it over here. Yeah. So this lady, she was come, she was on the bus. She fell asleep. 
this man had his hand on the railing and he went by like this and she was sleeping and he actually grabbed her breast. Obviously, she woke up and she made a noise yeah. and she called the police. And he was like, I was trying to do translations like, Beta, I will never do something like this. And I'm like, no, you have done it probably before. I'm 100% sure. This is the only time somebody has actually had the courage to speak up about it. Mm. And then the second one was where another older male, uh, another one on the bus, um, there were two young girls in their teenage years, offers them five bucks to give him a blowjob. Oh, my God. Obviously, the girls report. In the bus in Edmonton. Yes. It's terrible. So, and... Like I'm, when the this I was like shocked. I'm like yeah. you're, I know you. This is, and then he's trying, and his son was so embarrassed when he came to pick him up, right? Because obviously he was gonna getting charged and stuff, and he didn't even want to come into the police station. And then he's talking to him, bita, meta kadini You know, bita, bita. I'm like, firstly, don't call me. Yeah, he's like, I'm not your beta. I'm not your beta. Yeah, please don't do that. And he's like, I'm gonna have to write you a ticket yeah. for just saying that. And then he's like, I'm like, oh, geez. Right? And then you're like, oh, my God. But very typical for yeah, someone typical. To, to say but something. But now you just like said that. that you didn't do it. Now you're saying that. Yeah, look at the clothes. Look at the clothes yeah. they're wearing, right? So, so then, and it's very sad that we have to do that whether they're daughters or sons to tell them how well, to protect themselves. Well, for women at that young of an age, right? Because yeah. you don't even know, like sexual predators are there everywhere. Yeah. Like men are pigs. Right? And it happens to young boys yeah, too. Yeah, young boys too. Or yeah. men too, right? So if I if we lived in Utopia where everything was great, yeah, I'm, I wouldn't have to give my daughter, like now my... <laughs> It's funny because she lives in Mumbai and I don't worry about her at all. Like she's been living there 10 years. When she first went, I was like, you know, okay, you know, more don't do this. Like, you know, that like typical thing of India. <laughs> like, okay, I'll give you a to-do list yes. and a not to-do list. Because I've been born there and I know what it's like, right? And she's been tra going to India since she was six months old. Oh, there you so go. So she loves India. Like yeah. you can't, like she's like loves India. She loves it here. Um, so, but when she came this time, and she, she takes public transportation all the time because I only have one car. Mm. She does drive, but when I'm like at home, then I'll take her. If I'm working, then she takes public transportation. So this time she's here. I'm like, you're not allowed to take LRT. You can't be doing this. You can't be doing this. And the bus, this happens. She's like, what is wrong with Edmonton? I'm getting scared. <laughs> I'm like, like what things, happening? things are changing. Yeah. And I need you. She's like, you never even tell me about this when you go when I'm in India. I'm like, I know. I'm like, if you're going out, because we've dealt with a lot of files. Uh, okay, watch your drink, because she had the bachelorette this weekend too. I'm mm -hmm. like, watch your drinks, do this, do this. Yeah, just be mindful. Because it's all the cases you keep seeing. You can't help but feel that way. Exactly. Right. And I know she's 29, but she's still my baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like still my baby yeah. girl, right? I don't tell her too many things. Like, I don't tell her, like, it's her choice when she wants to get married. She has a partner. They oh. both live together. They're very happy. Knock on wood. Yeah. And, like, I don't even, like, we're, like, 
His parents are totally opposite to me. They love talking to them every day and me, like, whenever I talk yeah. to them, talk to them. You guys do your thing. I Call know. me when you need to. Like, I know. Anshay, like, I'll message him sometimes and he'll be like, oh, you can message me whenever. I'm like, I am not that kind of person. I'm yeah. not the hovering kind of parent. I know. She knows. Yeah, she's in good hands. She's you guys in, are in good hands with each other, right? And she's an adult. Like, I cannot be the person who's, uh, you know, interfering in her life. Yes. Yeah. There's something I want to ask you that I think many of us um, would be curious about is, you know, like, what do you feel like it honestly is going to take from a, a perhaps a personality trait and even a, perhaps even um, down to someone's character, like what they need to be ready for if they themselves are wanting to be an aspiring detective? Well, I think first of all, they'll have to become a police officer. <laughs> yeah, that's first. <laughs> yeah. You got to go through the process. Yes. I think... Um, or even being a police officer in general yes. to prepare someone for... Absolutely. I think work. you have to really want this work because this work is not for everybody. And um, I don't say that just because it's shift work. Or I think there's so much that goes into being a police officer. As I said, like you see things. Um, you have to have a really good support system at home mm. that that you know if you go through to a bad call and you come home you know you have that support system at home but to become a police officer obviously you need the minimum um requirements like edu like i think the grade 12 is the minimum yep. uh you have to be physically fit you have to go through the psychological um testing and everything and mm -hmm. uh, join eps.ca usually has all the information on it yeah. but i think as a person you we have hired very young people too at 2021 20, yeah. too because your maturity level matters yes because you have to know how to talk to people uh you have to know that um, you will get into a situation where you will have to um um get into um a controlled fight um you know so you have to be mentally strong for those things physically you have to be prepared because sometimes you're going to be fighting with somebody i remember one of my fights lasted three four minutes before my the next people came like my help came mm, yep. but you know so uh you that's why physical fitness is very important Needs to be there yeah and mental fitness is very important um you have to be mentally tough you have to um, be focused on what you want. Um, and policing is, and like it has been an awesome career for me. It is an awesome career for anybody that wants to join. And it's a team. And you, you cannot be a lone wolf. Yeah. You have to be able to, you have to lean on lean others on others yeah um you know, know when to make a call know that you have these individuals you yes. can trust and share yes all of these experiences and, with and our eps like we teach you everything you get paid to go to training and you know we, they teach you like obviously we cannot teach everything in criminal code but important things are taught the bylaws are taught um and don't let what is portrayed about police officers in social media um, deter you if that's what you want to do. And don't be scared uh, when you are in ex legal executions of your duties and you have to use force. 
don't be afraid to do it because somebody's capturing it and then yes you'll end up on front of the news as long as you've done everything right and you can articulate it and you can tell why you did what you did don't be scared especially when you know under the circumstances you perhaps saved a life from doing so yes right? and it could be somebody else's life and it could be your life it could be your partner's life i think that's very important because sometimes with the way everything has been in media lately you know you people sometimes can get scared or oh, do i do i do this because and um i think one of the biggest things that um especially for edmonton people need to recognize is that we are not states police we are canadian police service and our training is absolutely fantastic uh and we have a long training like it's not like 3 weeks and then you're out on the street we mm. do have a long training where we explain what use of force is when to use what force appropriate force yes you know all those things are taught Good. and if anybody thinks that you know they need to know about it they should contact you know the police service the proper uh, proper channels to go for a ride along and figure out how the job works yeah to right? see right yes. just to get rid of the bias and yes uh, more so or sorry the um opinions of what the job looks like yes. it's like well, you could find out for yourself and i love that there's ride along opportunities there's shadowing that can be done in this day and age to see for yourself well, if now it's something covid is over it's back yeah now it's back yeah <laughs> yes. exactly no for a couple of years it wasn't yes. right yeah. no that's awesome i really appreciate you sharing that mona right um i find that uh you know overall i mean it's been over 2 hours oh, but it's wow. like it's crazy to see how much time we've been <laughs> able to spend and to learn everything about um you know your story and how it's made you who you are today and i find that a lot of our audience members are going to get a ton out of this right everything from like what it truly looks like to be a detective <laughs> to your personal story associated with like how much of that resilience has shaped you to how much of a fantastic mother you are and how much of a just independent person you are right like you were somebody who clearly has gone through hell and back with some of the situations but you never let it um control um the next steps you need to take for your life and that's why i hope that for anyone listening to this they get um some level of reassurance or an extra push or some motivation to continue to make decisions more for yourself yes. than for others i think like that just wraps it up perfectly yes thank you, know? you so much for having me and i really hope that um uh, whoever listens to it can take away something from it and apply it in whichever way they can of course you know where can uh you know our audience members continue to follow your journey and uh see what you're doing uh i am on twitter and i think it's namrata at namrata mona gill i'm on uh instagram on under nam gill and i'm also on facebook uh for nam gill again um those are the three ones that i have um but they're mostly personal stuff that i put on it and especially on twitter sometimes my um personal views can sometimes be offensive to people but you know hey it's uh it's twitter for a reason right exactly. <laughs> you have to express yourself exactly. on there and uh when somebody sends me a follow request i usually uh if i don't know the person i will request to follow back and see if i know that person yeah. or if i get if i can vibe with them before i will let them into my social stuff because um it's my personal stuff and i mm -hmm. like i guard my personal energy very um 
deeply. So if it's not going to gel, then I'm not going to allow you in. Completely fair. And that's well respect was respected. You need to create those separations, yes, right? Boundaries. And, it, and it's funny and why not to bring this back as we're wrapping up, but uh as we hear outside, <laughs> my my brother and my friend are training and it yes. reminded me of um the the importance of like having some aspect of martial art um understanding as a police officer because i wanted to share how cool this is and i don't know how much uh, like eps is doing anything yes. about it but there are certain states mona where they're making it uh actually a priority for officers to do jujitsu yes and at least get to the blue belt level yes but of course you know for someone like me who's such an aspiring jujitsu athlete <laughs> i had to share that and i wanted to bring that to your attention to see if um even within the scope of, of, of an officer, if that's recommended or if it's like insinuated or already done where it's like, hey, like it's important to know some aspect of martial arts. We're going to teach you self-defense so you can actually like get out of harm's way without physically causing too much harm on someone. Yes. But I'm just wondering what that looks like on your end. So when we went, I went through training, we had a very cohesive training system where they taught you not only did they tell you teach you how to use the belts uh, the tools that are on your belt but they obviously tell you how to de-escalate how to uh have if you get into a fight all those things i know jiu-jitsu wasn't uh, taught at that time but i do know that there are lots of members now that do train in it mm -hmm. and they actually um uh encourage other members to join in. nice yes yeah, so um there is a lot of training that goes on. Yeah. Like, honestly, like, um, when I know things have changed. I was in class like 22 years ago. Um, but they do train you. They awesome. do train you to do escalate. Uh, sometimes people don't understand is that if you're a female, say five foot two, because there's no discrimination for your height when you get into the police service, right? Mm -hmm. So when if you're five two and you're fighting with a guy who's five, uh, sorry, six four and two hundred and eighty pounds, you have to, you might have to use the tools that are allowed yeah. for you, so that you know you go home safely safe, at night, right? Yeah. And the people that you are serving are safe. So there's a, they teach us all those things. They teach us and they tell like, you know, you learn about those things. Like, so I'm like, I'm a bigger girl compared to others. But yeah, I have partners that are skinnier and shorter than me. So, you know, we, we, uh, the training program is really good. Yeah, yes. there you go. That's awesome. Well, this just goes to show that if that is a route you wanted to take, we make sure that all... Uh, all precautions are taken as seriously as yes. they should be. Yeah. Right. So thank you so much for being on here, Mona. I look forward to this going live. And for anyone who uh, would like to review, like, or share this episode, it would mean the world to us. And we'll have more people to, to learn from Mona's teachings today. So thank you. Thank you. Kenny. Awesome. This was such a pleasure. Yes, Thanks. absolutely.